Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Yeah, all right, we're back uh, at the set. We are still not back in the, the studio with, uh, you know, the vault and all that, so we got to get back to it. But we haven't done a home team for a minute, right? It's been a minute since we've done home team. We had... Uh, Chris Cuomo, we had Anthony Weiner. Who else do we have? There, there's got to be uh, one the, other. The, the PBD, the Dave Smith. Oh, the Dave Smith line Dave that we, Smith we have line. not had a home team. We got a lot of stories to go through. Um, the stories having to do yesterday, we had a very awkward moment. Uh, we're having dinner with my chef, Alper, and uh, all of a sudden the news shows that uh, President Obama's, Al, you know, Alper, Personal his chef, chef yeah. is Dropped dead. found dead. Yep. And Alper quietly left the house. <laughs> And he says, I don't know if I'm safe here. That is so funny. And, and I said, Alper, just hang in there. You know, it's, it's, we don't know what the story behind it is. We don't, obviously, we're not a, we're going to go into these crazy stories. We got some clips to show you. Well, that, that explains. Um, he was asking me yeah. for numbers for PHP, said he wanted life insurance. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. now That's it weird. makes sense. 
But we got a few things. Adam wants to react to what's been happening with uh, Israel's Netanyahu pushes ahead with vote on judicial overhaul while Netanyahu warns Israel is on the brink of a military coup. Trump threatens would be very dangerous if Jack Smith sends him to jail in new interview. DeSantis doubles down on claim that some blacks benefited from slavery. This I don't know if you saw the story. WAPO, someone thought it was a good idea to double down on that. The 9-11 Obama, you know, phone call, chef, middle of the night, drowning. We'll talk about that. Uh, you may want to know who Walter Scheib is. It's a former White House executive chef who also died from drowning in 2015. And maybe it's like a, you know, thing you should tell people. If you're thinking about being a chef for the White House, yeah. skip that job interview. Like, yeah. go, go, go to a different restaurant, mm -hmm. but don't do it. New York City agrees to pay $13.7 million to George Floyd protesters. There's a bunch of business stories we got to go through, Tom. Whew. U.S. home prices still face a steep and sustained decline this year. Economist warns home sales fall as would-be buyers face high rates, low supply. Existing home sales fall again amid worsening supply shortage. Then after a pause, the U.S. Fed likely to hike interest rates to 22-year high. Uh-oh. And then why the Fed isn't ready to declare victory on fl inflation, inflation yet. And there's a Sang Bankman Freed story about his defense lawyers with paying, paying them $10 million of misappropriate FTX funds. I know you reported on this a couple months ago on ValueTainment.com, which yeah. is a great article. There's a story there. Be yes. an insider. We got to talk about Vivek. He's making a lot of noise. There's some stories about RFK that snapped at Debbie Wasserman Schultz. You are slandering me. Uh, what else we got? A couple woke stories. This one's kind of weird. I don't know if you saw this one or not. School districts that allowed people to have their kids ban out, opt out of LGBTQ lessons, now are saying you can no longer opt out your kids. They banned it because too many families opted out. We'll talk about wow. this. Weird. Sounds like mandates. Yeah, weird. Dylan Mulvaney is now looking for speaking opportunities at schools. We'd like to inv invite For the him, vault? Could he be a secret the, speaker on the podcast? The Let's invite Surprise speaker. And then Algebra 1 effectively eliminated from Harvard Area Middle School because too many white and Asian students... We're taking it, and Americans' confidence in higher education has declined sharply. I don't know why. Okay, before we get into the articles and the stories here, uh, gang, we got our vault conference coming up. CEO tickets have sold out. Uh, founder tickets have sold out. Executive tickets have sold out. The Damn. only thing that's left is platinum in general. I'm sure you've seen these ads all over the place with myself, Tom Brady, Mike Tyson, Will Guedera down the street in Miami at the Diplomat. That'll be happening, I think, in six weeks. Mario's telling me the event's going to sell out this week. If you haven't yet registered, yeah. with every crazy thing that's going on right now, this is the type of an, ev a type of an event you want. I get people constantly tell me, Pat, how do we do this in this economy? How do I handle this? This is an event where you come through. We went through the manual yesterday, 200 pages. For three days, we're going to go through a 200-page manual. Here's a crazy thing. There's going to be a lot of celebrities that are taking and attending the Vault Conference just to attend it. For content themselves, I can't give names. It's, it's based on their uh, invitation when, when they show up. But you're going to see some people that are also attending the vault. Uh, if you haven't yet registered, I think this is going to sell out this week. Rob, let's put a link below for people that want to get registered for the vault. If you buy one ticket right now, second one is 50% off. The link will be below. Uh, get registered. You, your spouse, your business partner. Let's spend three days together in Miami. Anyways, let's get right into it. Okay, so business topics is what I'm going to get into first. Vinny, be ready. So I'm ready US, to go. U.S. home prices still face a steep and sustained decline. 
this year, Economist warns. Uh, pa, 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 there we go. So Economist Kieran Clancy from Pantheon Macroeconomics warns that the U.S. housing market is on the verge of a steep and sustained decline in home prices. Contrary to the belief of a recovery, Clancy argues we are baffled by the emerging narrative because it isn't recovering. Clancy emphasizes the crucial need for improved affordability in the housing market through recovery. He points out that affordability has declined with the median single-family house price surging 10% to 350 in the second quarter, resulting in the highest debt-to-income ratio since 2007. To achieve a genuine recovery, Clancy states, home sales can't recover until affordability improves, which requires lower mortgage rates or filing home prices or both. He highlights that the housing market is shifting from a collapse in demand and sales to a phase of falling prices and housing-related consumption. Tom, what is going on with real estate? I keep getting guys telling me, I told you the market crash is not here. I told you real estate's going to be fine. I told you it's not going to go down. What's really going on with real estate? Well, I'm hearing a lot of that, too. But we have to remember, we're living in South Florida, and we've had a huge influx in demand and all those people moving here. Remember, the we're hearing in Florida, what do we got? We got, like... Uh, uh, they said nine hundred from California, nine hundred a week, something like week. that, nine hundred a week moving to Florida. Yep. And so what's happened is in Florida, the prices are not dropping down because you still have a lot of cash buyers from the Northeast that have come down here holding it. But in the rest of the United States, it's just not affordable. And remember, Pat, you knew about this because right at the time you were founding um, PHP, remember 09, we had just got through that area where back-end ratio, 39, 38, nah, 45 is fine. Nina, no income, no assets, no problem. Well, that's not quite on the table here, but right now we don't have enough uh, supply. Not enough people are willing to put their house on, on the market in the United States. That is still a fact. And so with the limited supply, prices have moved very slowly. And with the interest rates, which were almost 8%, but they dropped back like 675 7% um, a week ago, that is keeping, keeping it there. And so it's artificial. And so as soon as either of those moves, Pat, we get a little more supply or the rates go down, Prices are coming down, and that's what everybody is saying, is this is an artificial scaffolding. Right now, we have about a million houses on the uh, market. And remember a couple weeks ago, PBD podcast, last time we did Home Team, remember we looked at the normal inventory is like three and a half, four million houses, and it was easily 50% or less of what's normal. So what's going on right now is the high interest rates and the low supply because people don't want to sell their house even if they have to move for their job, they'd rather Airbnb the old house with a nice low interest rate and then rent in the new place. And so we are living on the edge of a snap where housing, it, it, maybe it's not going to crash through the floor, but it's going to drop. And that's what this economist is talking about. And I think he is absolutely correct. You don't see it right now, especially in South Florida, where we have other things at play, <clears throat> but it's going to so, move. So here's, so Rob, can you pull up the tweet, uh, tweet I just sent you? Uh, I, I posted this yesterday. Uh, uh, Barry Habib sent me an article. I took a look at it, went through the whole thing. Very interesting data. And then I posted this. I said, that, you know, because a lot of people are asking the question about why people aren't selling or buying a house. 92% of Americans have a mortgage right now below 6%. There you go. 92. And what's the current 30-year fixed? 
Tom, what's the current 30-year fix? Oh, right right fix now, six, seven, seven, eight to seven and a quarter. Yeah. Good credit, half a million dollars. Six, seven, eight. No, 30-year fix is 7.6%. The 15-year fix is 6.8% as of today. Seven and a half percent is a 30-year yes. fix. So if 92% of Americans have a mortgage under 6%, no, no, zoom out so I can read it, Rob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate the respect, but I can't. Go zoom out. I don't have those eyes, Rob. I'm 44. There you go. In, yeah. So zoom in is what I meant. My English is up. So so 92% of Americans have a mortgage below 6%. Wow. If they want... Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm going to refi right now. So imagine a salesperson comes up and says, hey, Johnny, why don't we refinance your mortgage? You got 6% right now. I can get you 7.5%. 61% are below 4%. 23% have a mortgage below 3%. By the way, if you're watching this. Airbnbs, baby. They're not letting go of those. If you're watching this and you're comfortable about it, post your interest rate in the comment section. I'm curious. So why would... What would cause people to start buying and selling? Number one, Americans running out of savings. This is very interesting data. In 2020, collectively, we had three, $3 trillion in cash at the bank. 2021, it went to $2.5 trillion. You could look at the drop-off Jeez. from 21 to 22. It dropped off to $686 billion in cash. As of April, we have $800 billion. We went up slightly, but as saving decreases, that panic could cause owners to sell at a lower price to take their equity out. Number two, unemployment. 3.6. Some of us thought it was going to go to 10%, like 08. Hasn't happened yet. The market expected unemployment to skyrocket if Powell kept increasing rates. We haven't seen that. The third one is probably the most important one. Congress has more power than Powell. Every time Powell increased the rates to help address obsession the government has with overspending the last 14 years with low interest rates, the whole economic expansion, they say 128 months. It wasn't 128 months. It was like 150 months. If you take COVID out, that was going to go for 150 months of cheap money. Congress undermined it by delaying the time bomb that was coming to next generation. Uh, so what will happen with a massive crash in real estate? I don't think so. Maybe certain pockets. Here's the point. No politician or majority of Congress has the brass to do what actually is best for America. There's a 0% chance that that'll happen. Because the right thing to do is the following. Yesterday, Brandon and I are doing an episode on uh, hospital cost, okay? It's something nobody talks about. And what's happened with the price of hospital cost, per $100 of what it costs the hospital to charge, they're now charging $440, okay? It used to be $200 in 1995, 1998. So that $200 is now $400. If somebody asks you a question right now, how much would a bypass surgery cost? You know what the answer is? No one will tell you. A bypass? They did a surgery. They did a, 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 a survey bypass. calling a hundred and one different hospitals, asking, "What is a bypass? Heart bypass? Yeah, yeah. What does mm-hmm. a surgery cost?" Nobody gave them the answer. Half of them gave the answer. It ranged between forty-four thousand to four hundred eighty thousand dollars. Okay, from forty-four to four eighty on a bypass surgery for your heart. Then we went a little bit deeper, and we saw the Medicare and Medicaid. So the Medicare Medicaid that we're taking care of, the elderly folks, the, the folks that are actually getting the benefits, they pay little to nothing. 
the people that are getting the benefits or the people that are not paying anything into it only contribute for 6% of the actual cost for Medicare and Medicaid. Guess who's paying the other 94%? The working man who's doing their part, they're paying for Medicare and Medicaid. What's the moral of the story here? The right thing for us to do with Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, you know what the right thing is for us to do? Hmm. We got to change it. <laughs> yeah. We can't continue like this because right now the way we're looking at Medicare and Medicaid, the idea is, well, let the younger generation pay for it. They're supposed to pay it for baby boomers. I'm sorry. This is not a responsible thing to do. Guys, we can hear you guys. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. Are you guys having issues? It's a, it's a lot of uh, So the whole thing with Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, if the younger generation keeps having to pay for it, they're going to go bankrupt. The older generation, the traditionalists, the baby boomers are sitting there saying, oh, we got to get the benefits. But why isn't anybody wanting to change the benefits of Medicare, Medicaid? Ain't nobody going to get reelected. Mm-hmm. Nobody going to get reelected. Correct. What does this have to do with interest rates? Same exact thing. The right thing for us to do right now is to keep the rates high for a long time, mm-hmm. have a small little market correction happen, but that's not going to get anybody to get reelected. We have to print more money and put it in the bank, and we have to print more money to put in the economy, and people are sitting there saying, forget about what Powell is doing. So my thoughts on what's going to happen with real estate is we may see a small little adjustment here and there in different you know, pockets of America. I, Tom, I don't necessarily see a big crash coming with real estate anytime soon. No, I, I see the drop in pockets. You summarized it there. And that's why I talked about yeah. South Florida has got some things here because of the massive demand and the number of people here. I don't see it moving a lot in South Florida, but there are already markets where it is moving and it's, it's the move, markets where the underlying structure is also there. People moving out of San Diego, people moving out of California. It's interesting that you bring up the Medicare and the Medicaid, you know, entitlement programs. Obviously, the big debate over the last decades have been the Social Security. Do we extend the age? Do we extend the age limits? You see what's going on in France right now with all the protests. They want to extend um, their version of Social Security. What to, What are the ages, Tom? They wanted people to work five years longer. You have the older people saying, we don't want to work this long. We have the younger people saying, get yep. the hell out of here already. It's, it, I mean, the, the reality is this. People are living longer. And that, I mean, I'm in the longevity market, so I understand. It's, uh, it's an interesting dilemma of what they do with Medicare and Medicaid. And as you said, they just want to kick the can down the road just like they do with the debt ceiling. Nobody wants to be the politician that comes in and says, blow it all up. That's not what we're doing here. Fun, interesting that you bring up the, the rising cost in health care. The only thing that I think that has increased to that amount has been the cost of college, right? We've done many conversations about how the, the cost of college has skyrocketed, 4x, 5x, 10x. But is your education that much better? I would like to know how it works in the medical field. Um, when, it gets to, when it comes to mortgages, here's how I see it. Tom brought up a good point about supply and demand. Obviously, in Florida, everyone's moving down here. We've seen people moving to Miami, Naples, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Boca, Palm Beach, everyone in Florida, Jacksonville, supply and demand. The way I look at it is it's actually a different terminology that I would use. I would use, I would use cheap versus expensive. So if you went to go buy a house, you know, four years ago, the interest rates were the lowest of all time, you know, below 3%, 2.96%. We, we all have uh, the ability to remember pre-COVID. And you're like, all right, cool. The, the average cost of a house back then was 250, 275. Interest rates were below three. All right, cool. What's going on now? Well, the average cost of a house in America today is 350 freaking grand. 
All right, so they've gone up 75, 100 grand. And now interest rates have gone from essentially 3% to 6, 7%. So if you're the average guy, if you're Vinny, you're me, we're just like, yeah, this isn't a good deal. <laughs> and it just like doesn't make sense unless you need to. It's very, the fact that you said that 92% yeah. of Americans have an interest rate below 6%. Who the hell would want to sell at this point? No, nobody's going to want to sell. Nope. And by the way, I'll, I'll say this last part before we go into the next story is uh, home prices fall as would-be buyers face high rates, low supply. This is Wall Street Journal. Existing home sales in June declined 3.3% compared to previous month, reaching the slowest sales pace since January. The national medium existing home prices fell 0.9% from a year earlier to 4.10, second highest level on the record. The average rate for 30-year fixed right now is 6.78. In the south, existing home prices fell by 5.4%. And in the West, 5.1%. And there are 1.08 million homes for sale under contract at the end of June, unchanged from May, and down 13.6% from previous year. The number of new listings in June decreased. Decreased. That's the kicker. Decreased by 26% compared to the mm -hmm. previous year. There's, There's your supply, supply and demand there. Why would somebody sell a house right now? So. Unless Why they, would somebody buy a house yeah, right I'm not now buying is another question. It's, it's, but, but it's, it's but like it's a stalemate. Actually, believe it or not, it's more why would somebody sell a house right now? Right. Why would somebody sell your house right now? I got a low rate. I can rent this out. I don't have to worry about it. My payment is good. I don't have a reason the, to sell right I guess right the now. only reason you would sell is it's if you would go to rent. Meaning it's like, the, all right, I've had this house. I've had two kids. They're yeah, out of the house. Yeah. I'm 60 years old. I no longer need a four-bedroom house. Me and my wife will go get a little two-bedroom condo. Okay, income boom. needs to increase. We'll take for, the million bucks and sense. go. What's that? Increase needs to, you know, income. income needs to increase for it to make sense. People are not making more money. It's not like all of a sudden your income is going to go up 25% a year. It's just not going to happen. So what's going to happen? Only the people that can afford can buy. Mm -hmm. Only the Black Rocks are going to go buy the entire marketplace. No one, and then we're going to be a renter's market. For a decade or two, this, this is the part that when you go look at cycles of real estate, mm -hmm. the last however many decades, there are many seasons where we went through a decade of being a renter's market. People just didn't want to buy. There are many decades where we're like, yeah, I'm good. I don't need to buy. Why would I buy? I'll go renter. And then all of a sudden, boom, it became buyer's market. And then again, seller's market. And then renter's market. So it's either a seller's market, mm -hmm. it's a buyer's market, or it's a renter's market. Today... It's none of the above except yeah, for renting. Yeah, what is it today? No, it's probably renting today. What yeah. are you going to do to buy? There's no reason to buy today because it's not like you're going to – well, long-term real estate's going to do fine. It's a, it's mm -hmm. a non-duplicatable non asset right. that can increase your net worth. But, Tom, you look like you were dying to say something. Yeah, the, no, the, the last item on this is this, is this cycle is being complicated by the impact of Airbnb. Because people are able to rent houses that have low interest rates. And I was reading it only takes about nine rental days a month to cover the house. So if my job forced me to move from Bedminster, New Jersey to Raleigh, North Carolina, because that's where I had to find the job. And with COVID and everything, I had to work, and so I moved. And I don't sell my house in Bedminster. All I have to do is get eight Airbnb nights out of it, and I can cover that 3% mortgage. That situation and the platform Airbnb did not exist in 08 or 09 right. or in 12, 14 the way it Very does. good point. So, so, so people, so sellers that reduces have more the supply. options. Sellers yeah. have more options that I'm like, I don't need to sell it right now. So Airbnb is indirectly impacting a market where realtors don't have enough supply to sell 
By the way, realtors must not like Airbnb or would a great realtor sell a house saying, look, well, if it doesn't work out, just put it on Airbnb, you're going to be fine. So maybe there's a different way of selling well, it let, today. Let me ask you a Realtors hate Airbnb. Right, guys, I, want to, I have to go to a quick uh, sponsor. Uh, I want to give a quick shout-out to Masterworks. Uh, gang, if there's one thing I can tell you by talking to a lot of different people right now with clients that we work with, there's a lot of people that have been taking advantage of Masterworks within our community simply because of alternative assets and what's been happening with art. I've, I've given these numbers before, but I'll read it to you. And equally weight, S&P has only added a measly 1.8% year-to-date. As a result, there's huge interest in alternative assets. Our sponsor, Masterworks, art investment platform, it's a genius, easy way to get into the art. Meaning, if you want to buy $10 million Picasso or Banksy, you can't afford to do it. You can do it through, banks, uh, through uh, Masterworks, and you buy a share of it. What these guys are doing is absolutely genius. There was a record-breaking year, 22 for auctions. And at the same time, you know, this is happening while a lot of people are not really concerned with what's taking place. So if you're somebody that's, you know, you're saying, Pat, I wouldn't mind getting into art, but I can't afford to buy that stuff. Masterworks would be the perfect company for you. As of June 21, they have 740,000 users with $750 million of assets under management. My suggestion, click on a link below, subscribe to Masterworks, see what they have going on. And if you're comfortable with the risk, everything is regulated properly, register with the proper organizations. If you want to get involved, start investing into some more, uh, artwork with Masterworks. Again, the link's going to be below. So, uh, Adam, you were going to say something about this whole real estate story before we wrap up and well, go to just, the next one. You know, you seem pretty dialed in the, on the Airbnb thing. Obviously, you could just rent your home. That's easy. How many have you have you done any case studies on Airbnb? Because I've Airbnb'd my apartment before. It's not that easy to do, man. I mean, it's like I'm not saying that it's super difficult. But I just don't know how many people are actually doing the Airbnb. What kind of stats do you have? Is it one percent of homes? Is it ten percent of homes? What do we know on well, that? I'm going to dive in even deeper on the stats. I don't have that in front of me right now. But the points, the points that were made was in certain markets, they're able to keep that home and that low mortgage, and Airbnb is helping them do it, and they only have to get about eight, nine nights of rental out of it, mm -hmm. point one. Point two, realtors and realtor groups and realtor companies like Compass are actively supporting neighborhoods to change ZCCNRs, Zoning Covenant Codes and Restrictions, also known as Homeowners Association, to prevent rentals. And in South Florida, you can see some uh, communities walk in. Now, you realize you cannot rent for two years. Now, South Florida has been a, um, a transitory market. Uh, the yeah. things we call snowbirds are people that come down for about five and a half to seven months and you know get, get the rheumatism and arthritis out of the Northeast uh, cold. And that sounds like ageism, Tom. I don't know. I don't appreciate that. Not ageism. It's freaking arthritis. <laughs> the, um, <laughs> the, and now, you know, you used to be able to rent your home, but there are certain mm. places that when you buy a home, you can't rent for two years. So there is a bunch of forces here. I'm going to dig in deeper on this. Okay. And maybe you and I could, you guys. I got some stats here. For, yeah. so, so it says there's Airbnb has roughly 5.6 million active listings in 20, 220 countries and 60% uh, 60 of its users are millennials meanwhile another article says 85% of the hosts are in America 85% mm. of the hosts are in US and Airbnb is a you know 70 80 billion dollar company so it's not like it's a small company the average host earned $13,800 last year 
in 2021. There's a thousand bucks a month, which is a thousand bucks a That's month. That's not a lot of crazy money. nut money. But if you've got a if you have a half yeah. million dollar house and you have a three percent mortgage. That's almost covering. Yeah, that's yeah. almost covering. So, again, it's another out for a homeowner to say, I'm going to go this direction. I'll tell one quick story, if you don't okay. mind. I used to do Airbnb in my apartment in downtown Miami. And obviously, Miami is a very transitory place. People are coming and going. We have massive events every time. I would go, like, anytime there was a massive event, like Ultra or Rolling Loud or Miami Music Week or the Super Bowl, I'm a single dude. I can kind of keep it moving, keep it grooving. I can just rent out my place for a thousand bucks a night. Boom, make five grand in a weekend. Uh, but most people can't do that, especially if you have kids, you can have families. So I've used Airbnb. I think it's awesome. I've used it. I just don't know how many families are truly moving their kids, getting out of there, you know, doing that whole thing, unless they're transplanting, moving, like you said, from New Jersey to Florida and they have their place. Of, but if that's the case, I would just rent out my place. So. Let's dive into this thing a Let's little bit more. Let's talk about Sam and, if, and, if, and I was just going to yeah. say, Pat, like I, I was quiet throughout this whole yeah. exchange, housing and everything. I personally, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get with my constituents, but I do concur with every, everything that yes. you guys are talking about. I concur. I'm, well, I'm, we I'm, I'm 100% on board. There wasn't one thing that I was like in my head like, I don't believe in that. Yeah. So okay. that, you guys dig deep more on the other thing, and then we'll, we'll circle get back. With your and yesterday at lunch, we'll you were back. very concerned about the cataclysmic drop in the internal rate of return. On I, I couldn't even eat my appetizer. Couldn't even you eat were, my appetizer. <laughs> it was disgusting. It was, it was terrible. You so, were, I'm you're, sorry. Guys, you guys, I'm sorry. You were Sam, in a sweat. <laughs> Sam Bankman-Fried is paying his defense lawyers with $10 million of misappropriated FTX funds. Uh, the founders allegedly being... Uh, uh, accused of paying them with that funds. FTX faces financial difficulties and entered Chapter 11 bankruptcy proceedings last November. Questions have been raised about the funding Bankman-Fried's defense, and the complaint alleges that he transferred $10 million of FTX's U.S. exchange account to his own name and then gave the same sum to his father's FTX account, which has been used to finance his criminal defense. Tom, what is going on here with SPF? So we covered this on Valuetainment.com, or a little biz doc story on Valuetainment.com. After I found a couple blurbs that were in a longer Forbes article where they had been covering all of the investigation where the, remember when the first paratroopers from the government came in and the first thing they wanted to know is where the flip did all this money go? They found the transfers to Alameda, remember that whole chapter? And every day there was a headline where the money went. Sam Bankman-Fried awarded himself um, you know, like sh sh selling sh his own shares and awarded himself $10 million, which is really investor money. And here's what he did, Pat. He took a one-time lifetime exemption on a pass-through inheritance to his father. So he filled that. You know what I'm talking about, Adam? Or you can do the one-time like, skip generation. He took it. This was $10 million tax-free that went to his dad through an elaborate trust. His dad was holding it, and now his dad is wiring payments to the law firm. Big guy. And so mm -hmm. this is what – so when people say misappropriated, they're, they're careful not to use the word illegal because he is hiding behind this where this was this – was Just out of curiosity, Tom, just a legal question. So – if a guy does this in business, he faces going to jail for, for a long time, right, if he does this. Now, here's a question, trick question for you. Not that this will ever happen, but what if, let's just say somebody has more power than capitalism. Let's just say you're like a vice president, okay, of a country. Or maybe you become a president and you're able to use your powers to kind of, you know, 
get money to come into the father, brother, things like that. What kind of consequences will that person face if they're working for the government? Well, probably it depends none. on if they appointed the attorney general or they appointed judges and things. Very strategic. They could probably though. rig it. But yeah. I would probably do – in that kind of a case, I'd do something simple like maybe – have somebody maybe do artwork or sculptures and sell it to people at an overinflated price. Wow. So now, now it's hey, it yeah. was an art sale. It was just an art sale. Weird. And maybe this, maybe if someone bought some art and you thought they were a nice person, maybe make them like ambassador to China or something because they're a nice person. Well, listen, let me just transition into the next story. Hunter's, uh, Hunter Biden's gallery sold uh, first son's artwork to major Democratic donor appointed to prestigious commission. Wait a minute. Wait. That's, hey. my, that's my idea. Very, very hey. ironic here. What's so Hunter weird? Biden's artwork has generated at least $1.3 million in sales with one buyer being a prominent Democratic donor appointed by President Joe Biden to a prestigious commission. The buyer, Elizabeth Hirsch Naftali, a real estate investor from Los Angeles, was appointed to the Commission for the Pre- Preservation of America's Heritage Abroad in July of 2022, eight months after Hunter Biden's first Art opening, Naftali's has a history of significant donations to the Democratic uh, causes, including over $200,000 to the Biden Victory Fund during the 2020 election cycle and more than $30,000 to the Democratic National Committee this year. Another buyer acquired Hunter Biden's artwork for $875,000, but their identity remains undisclosed. Pat, but in all honesty, have you seen the artwork? Like, you know, when people are on drugs and they're on crack, you should mm-hmm. see how beautiful like his strokes are. Can we get a glimpse of it's, it? Can you just show Have you seen any of his art? Like. Look at that. That is crack. Like you are on crack and your brain is somewhere else. I mean, besides having sex with the underage girls that he's having. Look, look is, that, is that one of them? Click the journey home. This is the journey home photo. To be, I mean, you got to be like, respectful. He didn't cross the line. Like, he you know didn't. How you're he supposed stayed to, in the, he stayed in the like, lines. I will, I will yeah. say this, Vinny. Vinny, so Vinny brings up a very good point. Abstract on crack. Abstract on crack. A there lot of go. artists a new are known to use DMT. Yeah. Maybe use some acid, explore the space a little bit, some smoke marijuana, alcohol. Yeah. He's smoking crack. You know, crack does amazing things Dude, these days. It's a, actually look, not that bad. Let me, I, and I said this, Pat, on my show. Let me ask you a question. Do you actually think he did all these drawn himself or... Do you think someone else is doing it and putting it up there? Like, is this... That's all his, Pat? These is this all his? all his work? Yes, this well, is his hey, gallery. I'll buy one. <laughs> but, it's actually I mean, not to bad. be fair, yeah. it actually looks... Yeah, I'm not trying to knock Let's him. Let's like, fact check that, though. I'm, I have serious doubts. Yeah. He probably well, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Is it like, a, you know how they say there's a ghost writer? Is it like a ghost yeah, painter? Yeah, ghost painter. <laughs> it might be. Yeah, well, like, I'll uh, tell you what. You know, Peter Dave Max's, Chappelle on Rick Peter James famously said... He brought his nephew in. Hey... We need, there you go. We, we need you to do something. Uh, here. Dave Chappelle show Rick James famously said cocaine is a hell of a drug. I don't, I don't, but do you think seems it, like crack is a hell of a drug to help you do, do your. Do you think whoever bought this, you think they're showing it off? Like, are they walking on like, hey girl, hey, I got a yeah. Biden, I got a Biden in the back. Yes. Believe it or not, uh, yes. uh, I saw. I we looked at a house um, recently. I, I man, I'm gonna give it away if I give the details. Don't you agree? I'm, I'm, anyways, I'm gonna say this was a very, very one of the most powerful men in America. We looked at this house. How long ago was this, Tom? Vinny's house? Yeah. No, uh, how, less, less than a month. Like less than three, a month. four we weekends. Look, okay. Like that? So the house. Let's just say the house is like a hundred fifty, hundred million dollar house. Okay. Uh-huh. You know. I'm, I'm gonna just so we're going to looking at the house, and it's a possibility. We like the place. In the bedroom, you go in to see how much this type this type of stuff has value. If I say they're going to know who it is, I can't even say what it is, right? Why? Honest, I'm, I'm being honestly asking. I, I don't want to say whose house Just it was. Just be vague. Do broad strokes that. Anyways, like you're painting. When we went in the master bedroom, the biggest wall 
had a piece of art, is how I'm going to put it. Okay. That is maybe 12 feet long, 10 feet. Would you agree? Like, it's 10 feet long. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a little bit. This is 16, so it's, it's a little, a little bit smaller than this. And on the bottom, problem. it says who gave this to them. And it came straight from the White House, from President Joe Biden. And this person is one of the biggest donors to... The, the campaign. campaign, okay, it was. It's a massive number. That okay. it, it, the number's not two hundred thousand or four hundred thousand. It's a real boring number. Boring artwork. It was so, only three colors. I don't want to. <laughs> say, I don't. So, so anyways, the, the point being, I really actually don't want to say what it is. So, the point being, people will put this stuff on the wall. Okay, when you go look at crazy homes, art's being put. It was so funny because Nicole, uh, Sam's uh, uh, girl, was with us, and one of the arts in a room. <laughs> what? What? Oh, yeah. Was that? Yeah. <laughs> One of the art pieces in a room, it looks so out of whack. It yeah. look, art, art's not like, you know, it's not for everybody. Yeah. Art, you have to kind of like it. Nicole looks at and tells the wife, says, oh, wow, is this the grandkids made this? And she no. Says, <laughs> no. She says, she says, no, this is from a very famous artist. Oh, my God. <laughs> so oh, my God. It's like a couple million dollar art. Nicole's just trying to be innocent, like, oh you know, my break. God. Oh, the kids like, just so this together? is from the grandkids. Like, yeah. no, this is not oh from the grandkids. Oh, my God. I'm going to make this name up. But she was like incensed. She said, this is a Kalakamas from New York. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. from New York. Like, but I'm so sorry. It, yeah. so, so, so to art, you have to know the art community is not necessarily looking at what you see. It's a very different. So... In that side, I will defend, you know, whatever the art's going to look like. It's the eye of the beholder, essentially. PVD, you've been to Art Basel in Miami. Yes. Every year I've been there for the last 10 years or whatever. Yes. You'll walk down these galleries, these aisles, this art, and you're like, I wouldn't pay a penny for that. Mm -hmm. But this over, like, it it is in the eye, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, and it's, there was the famous, most famous piece of art that I remember in the last couple of years was a banana taped to the wall. Did you Jeez. see this one? That was not just any banana, though. It what kind of banana? That was, was from it? Publix. Publix <laughs> banana. It's like, who yellow. the hell is buying this banana on the wall? But it was like the, the hottest thing at the gallery. Yeah. Oh, there it is right there. But the, yeah. best, the best documentary, Pat, that I saw just really, really fast was the Salvador Mundi documentary where they found, they thought, they think it was, well, it was sold to MBS. In uh, Saudi Arabia, I think it was like five. How much was it? Four hundred million. Yeah, four hundred million dollars because yeah. they thought mm-hmm. it was a, a, a Picasso, might but, have been. But it, do you know the history of that thing? Of the actual from nineteen forty-eight, what happened to it? And it was originally for, bought for like ten thousand dollars. And then all of a sudden, he gets it appraised by a guy and says, "Nope, this it's is all bu- yeah. fifteen million bucks." And then it gets sold for hundred million, and six months later for four hundred million dollars. Four hundred million. A documentary. Anyways, saw, I mean, yeah. the, the point mm-hmm. is, when it comes, Mondays, the- SPF, what he's doing, where he's at. Um, I love we, your Picasso story. You always tell, by the way. Which one's a Picasso story? About the guy, he wanted to do the artwork. Oh, the that's a great story. Yeah, yeah, it was an incredible story. story. It's a great story of uh, what this guy did. No, you know, they say this is, this is why if you're going to buy art or baseball cards, people will come up to him and they'll say, pal, what do you think about this card? The guy says it's worth $5,000. I said, is it graded? No, I don't buy anything that's not graded. The only cards I buy that are not graded is when the pack opens up right in front of me. Got it. Mm. Okay? That's, that's what I do. Now, some people may say that's not the right way of doing it. Because when it's graded, an organization, PSA, tells you this is a mint card. This is a perfect card. This is a pristine card. So with art, you want to buy from places like Masterworks and other places that they're telling you, we've done the due diligence. The responsibility of being authentic is on who? It's on that organization that's insured. 
70% of art sold in a marketplace is fraud. Wow. 70. 70%. Can you pull up the percentage, by the way? What percentage of art is fraud? What percentage of art that's sold is fake? It's wow. a massive. Back in the days, people used to, yeah, there you 40 go. 40 to 70% to 70%. Wow. of the Jeez. art market is the range of forgery. Does that so, include NFTs? Because that'd be 98%. Well, listen, yeah. you, you know a lot of people that made a lot of money in NFTs, and they're quietly, all they're talking about is kindness right now because they made so much money. <laughs> kindness That's a whole different and story. Let, let's continue. Kindness. Let's continue on what's going on here. So, look, it, it, this, this is the problem when you start impeaching for no reasons. You're about to be impeached two to four years later, and it's kind of taking place right now. Uh, GOPers demand Biden's impeachment after Hunter's ex-business partner reveals alleged calls must be held accountable. This is a New York Post story. If you can go to page four, Rob, if you want to put the story up as well so people can see it. So, uh, 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 okay, there you go. Republicans demand President Biden's impeachment after allegations of frequent phone calls with foreign business associates through his son, Hunter Biden. Rep. Jim Banks stated House Republicans should initiate impeachment proceedings against President Biden, accusing him of enriching his family through personal influence. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson commented, we've known about uh, President Biden lied about not discussing Hunter's overseas business dealings. That video was going viral yesterday. It certainly wouldn't surprise me to learn he was far more involved. The IRS agent's testimony alleging Joe Biden's blocked tax fraud charges against Hunter and evidence of Biden's meetings with foreign associates further fueled the impeachment calls. Representative uh, Nancy Mace highlighted another whistleblower, uh, Devin Archer, will directly tie Joe to the bribery scheme in Ukraine. If you can pull up that video of him saying a few years ago, I didn't do any of that. Tom, when you see the story, what do you think about with what's going on here? Are we actually going to see an impeachment with Biden the way we did with Trump? If we're holding Biden on this to the same standard as we held Trump, there is actually that it's it's equal. The evidence is equal. And Trump made remember Trump was impeached twice. So I'm talking about the Ukraine phone calls. You take a look at the Ukraine phone calls and what he did. He, he says, hey, he should be impeached and we're going to impeach him. And they did impeach him because he made phone calls to Ukraine and said, hey, we can do a deal and certain things can happen here. And now Biden and Hunter's Hunter Biden's as partner, Devin Archer, is providing this evidence that Hey, you know what? We made phone calls and we said, hey, let's cut a deal here. This is what we'll do. It's the same thing. So if you impeach Trump, you have to you, on a ticky tack, then you got to impeach Biden. Guess, guess what, though, Pat? To answer your it's 100 percent. Nothing is going to happen to him. And here's my question, too. How many whistles are going to have to be blown till something like every week? Whistleblower here, IRS whistleblower, FBI whistleblowers. Nothing is going to happen to this Devin Archer guy. He was supposed to testify yesterday. This is his third time he canceled. Third time he subpoenaed to go to Congress. He said nope and canceled. What's going to happen to him? Nothing. Zero. The left is winning. The right barks. That's it. That's what, the right just blah, 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 and the left gets away with murder. He's, nothing's going to happen to him. He's going to do his whole full, full, full four years. I want you to watch bet this money clip. on it. This is, this is Peter Ducey and Biden a couple years ago. Play this clip. I've never spoken to my son about drugs. And so how do you know? Here's what I know. I know Trump deserves to be investigated. He is violating every basic norm of a president. You should be asking him the question, why is he on the phone with a foreign leader trying to intimidate a foreign leader, if that's what happened. That appears what happened. You should be looking at Trump. Trump's doing this because he knows I'll beat him like a drum. And he's using the abuse of power. And every element of the 
the presidency to try to do something to smear me. Everybody looked at this and everybody's looked at it and said there's nothing there. Ask the right question. Yeah, look at that angry point in the face. It's interesting. A couple points. Seems pretty cognitive there. So the decline is pretty apparent over the last few years. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, this, this I'm assuming, I don't know the exact date, it, it, would, it would seem likely this is on the campaign trail in 2019, yes. 2020, prior to the election. We know that people say a lot of nonsense and say a lot of things. Uh, so, you know, I, I wouldn't look too much into that. What I'll say is this. I, I, I think it was an ugly situation with Trump when the double impeachment, obviously, he wasn't impeached or fully convicted or didn't, uh, wasn't held accountable for that. I think it's a slippery slope with this. What happened in 2018 was there was sort of a blue wave after 2016. Democrats took over the House. The Democrats took over the Senate. They had all the control. So from a logistical standpoint, if, you, if how Congress works right now, 2020, there was supposed to be, I'm sorry, 2022, there was supposed to be a red wave. It was a red teardrop. Uh, the Dems control the Senate. They have a small margin in the House. And if the House even brings this up, there's no way the Senate actually passes this. I don't see it happen. I think we're just, a, it's an ugly situation in this country where we're just like, impeach Trump, impeach Biden. Politics is ugly. Democracy is ugly. But it's the best thing we got. Who's going to investigate Pat? But, Pat. But, but the question, here's the question, though. Here's the question, though. The standards held on what they did to Trump based on those standards, the American people are saying, what, what is it with you now saying we got to move on? We, we had mm-hmm. it with Anthony Weiner. We got to move on, right? You know, conversation with, you know, uh, uh, even Chris being here with what happened two and a half years ago. It's a lot of people that are like, hey, we got to move on. It's in the past. We got to look at the future. No, you, you humiliated the person that voted for Trump. That person was humiliated in front of their peers. Mm-hmm. But the person that voted for Biden looked like they knew what they were doing. And now... That person that voted for Biden is saying, guys, let's just move on. This is not a good thing to do. For me, I don't think it's good to do to start off with because this is not going to stop. This is going to continue. Trump's got five kids. Uh, Is it five or six kids? He's got five kids, I think, right? He's got Eric, Eric, Don, Ivanka, Ivanka, the daughter, and uh, Barry. I think it's five kids. Okay. That we know about. The one that they have to worry about the most is Barron. Barron's going to be around for 67 years, which means what? That guy is going to remember he was the kid in the White House. He was the one that has the highest intense emotions that he watched his dad Mm -hmm. when he's going through stuff. This is not going away anytime soon. You best believe this is going to continue. In 40 years, he's going to be 56 years old, and you're going to be 80 uh, uh, years old or whatever. You're going to sit there and say, look what the son is doing Mm -hmm. now. Remember when this guy was a 6'8 person? Mm -hmm. Look what he's up to now. We don't know what these things are going to happen. But when you play this game, and all you think about, this is the problem America has right now. Medicare, Med, uh, Med, uh, Med Advantage, Med, Medicare and uh, uh, um, Medicaid. Medicaid, forget about it. Let Gen Z, millennials, Gen X pay for it, right? Yeah. Let them pay for it. Real estate, economic expansion, don't worry about it. Print some more money, okay? Don't even worry about it. Let the next generation pay for it. Next, impeachment. Who cares? Let's get in the sky. Let's, we got to yeah. show the world how, because let the next generation, and this is going to keep continuing Year after year after year after year after. So I got a question for you guys. It has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with politics. I'm curious to know what you're going to say about this. Then I got a clip I want to show you guys, which is kind of weird, how a lady is giving a speech, 
and the writer in the back is saying verbatim every word that she Last wrote the speech yep. and is correcting them. We'll go to <laughs> yeah. that here in a minute, but forget about that. I'll send you the clip. Here's a question I got for you, Tom. Which burden is a bigger burden? For example, kids are a big burden on the parents, right? When you have kids, it's a lot of work. You don't sleep. There's a reason why this panel, out of four of us, two of us have kids, two of us don't, and we're all over 40 years old, okay? There's a lot of responsibility with having kids. It's a lot of work, okay, and it's constant. Last night, we're dealing with plumbing. Kids got to take a shower. You got to put them to sleep. You got to get up early. What's gonna, it's just a lot of work when you have kids. What, what burden is more painful? The burden parents put on their kids for having not made proper decisions in life to get the kids off to a good start? Or is the bigger burden the kid that is so responsible that is always embarrassing the parents, drugs, financial issues, constantly being in trouble, not making the right decision? Which is a bigger burden, parent to kids or kids to parents? Tom, you know what question I'm asking? Yep. Well, as a parent, I think it's kid to parent because you feel embarrassed you feel ashamed you feel responsible you were supposed to raise this kid and turn him her it or they into a uh, responsible citizen yeah and that would just to see my kid failing i feel pain for their pain and then i feel embarrassment and then i feel responsible and then i feel you know what could i have done different here i think that's a bigger burden than the burden that maybe a parent puts on a kid to perform, even though we've seen suicides in kids from parents that made straight A's an absolute deadly let me, Maybe let me ask a question in a different way. So, for example, Tom, so, you know, uh, uh, our job is to take care of the elderly. Got it. So, you know, I'm taking care of my dad. You're taking care of your, you know, your, mm-hmm. your mom. We're yep. supposed to take care of you know, whatever this person needs, mom needs, that person needs. We got to take care of. Okay, fine. How, how much of that where the burden of the prior generation being passed down to the next generation is okay? What is the responsibility of our generation to the next generation? Got it. E- economic Economically. Is it, is it okay to just kick the can and say, listen, guys, you guys are young. One day you're going to have to take care of this. You pay the price for this. Your grandma's old. Your dad is old. It's on you. You can handle this. You're only 28. You're only 35. I'm 69. At what point... Is that burden an unfair burden the prior generation is passing on to the, uh, to, you know, the whole thing about weak men create hard times, hard times create. So strong maybe men, a generation made times, weak choices and the next generation is paying the price for it. How much of that is okay for a generation to pass down so much burden on the next generation? Uh, I, I, different kind of question. I think what we're doing to the next generation is unconscionable. And I think what they're carrying is they have to figure out how to make it in the most expensive, you know, economic times of all time, number one. And number two, now they're going to be told the only way to take care of all these boomers. And doesn't the last boomer retire on Thanksgiving this year? I think it, I think it is. Between Thanksgiving and the end of the year, the last boomer retires or hits that first retirement age milestone. And now it's like, hey, listen, all the boomers... Yeah, the trust fund's going to be out. The Medicare and Social Security trust fund, you can look up, you can find that chart, Rob. 
uh, it's going to be gone. And so we're just going to keep, you know, that little dial that says six and a half, I mean, seven percent, I mean, seven and a half percent Social Security. We're just going to keep turning that dial because there's two trust funds that are that are in there. I think it's the uh, uh, medical trust fund that they're related to Medicare and Social Security. And both of those trust funds, there's charts out there that say they are dead in um, roughly 11 years. 11 years they go, the trust funds that are in there go to zero. And when they go to zero, the only choice is to hypertax those who are working, and that is an unconscionable burden on the next generation. Okay, so here's, here's a, uh, by the way, the, the last boomer turned 65 in 2031, so we still got a few more years left. The last 46 to 64, so if you look at 64, 36, 23, uh, the, the oldest boomer right now is 59 years old or something like that. They got six more years, so the it's 20. Uh, the youngest boomer is like 57 yeah. years old. So 1946 to 1964, I'm just doing basic math. So 57, they got nine more years, uh, 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 eight oh, I, more I years. I've been reading, reading about the 59 and a half rule. I'm sorry. Yeah, 59 and a half is going to be probably in two years. But the old, youngest boomer turns 65 in 2031. Regardless, it's 76 million of them, and it's a lot of money. So here's a, here's a part about that that... Uh, for me, uh, it's deeply concerning, and no one wants to have this conversation. We can have this conversation because we're not looking for your vote. We don't need your vote. We're not running for nothing. Mm -hmm. We don't need Congress. We don't need your money. We're not running for governor. We're not running for president. We're just having conversations, okay? As a sales organization I run, the best way to describe this, Tom, I think you'll understand this. So in our business in insurance, when you're around for a long time and you build a big agency, what ends up happening to you is you start making millions of dollars, but you don't work anymore, okay? Not the guy that starts the company because you're always working because you, every lawsuit, everything comes to you, right? But if you build an agency within a company, it could be New York Life, it could be Transamerica, it could be Primerica, PHP, you can go on so many different companies. If you build a big block of business, with a lot of insurance agents, you can all of a sudden one day wake up saying, hey, babe, we're making $2 million a year, and we're in work. That's the least I've worked in the last 20 years, mm -hmm. okay? So then that generation is famous for sometimes not wanting to do the work, taking the money, and wanting to change the compensation structure to benefit them. Because what ends up happening is the longer you're in the business, your override and commissions on insurance, the renewals kind of goes away because you're no longer building new offices. Mm -hmm. So the override is going away from you. So all of a sudden you catch yourself going to $200,000 a month in income, 220, then it goes to 180, 160, 140, and then you level off like at $100,000 because you're no longer growing your book of business. Very interesting, very simple. This happens quite often. The people at the top, the elderly, the people that are no longer working start saying, we need to change the compensation plan to pay us more. This is not fair. And they take comp away from newest agents who are just starting their practice. I don't know if I'm making sense. Yep. So the small business owners that are starting their practice, they are now getting less of a comp than the person that has been around for 20, 30 years. If you can go to Twitter, uh, Rob, yesterday I responded to, uh, uh, to the, uh, 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 what do you call it, the incredible Hillary Clinton uh, such a sweetheart. If he can go, she no, no, she did not respond. But you got to go to this tweet. How uh, be uh, here? Zoom in, did. zoom in right there. Okay, and go to her tweet. Her tweet says, to "As of today, it's been 14 years since 7.25 minimum wage was last raised. President of United States Biden supports raising the wage to at least 15 dollars. MAGA Republicans have repeatedly blocked an increase. 
What do you have against millions of working families making more? My response, what do you have against small business owners? Mm -hmm. Fortune 500 companies would love to see minimum wage increase. They can afford it. It's the small business owners who risk their life savings that can't. You're indirectly helping eliminate competition for the big guys. Great okay? Point. Weird. So there is no response. What are you going to say to that? So, okay, guess what? Walmart loves the fact you raise minimum wage. Joey's market that's been there for 73 years, passed on three generations, now is out of business. You're like, dude, that was fantastic. Thank you, Biden. Thank you, Hillary. Thank you, Bernie. You eliminated this guy that was a pain in the ass because my market in this area just went up 13% because I was losing it to the other guy. Okay. So indirectly, if we don't talk about this, the older generation, I believe, you can come at me all you want. I don't need your vote. I'm simply sparking a conversation. I believe the older generation is being unfair and bullying the younger generation and not thinking about what they're going to be have to, having to do 10, 20, 30 years from now because they're going to be dead. Hmm. And, and that's absolutely unfair. It is a burden that Selfish. some of these guys cannot handle. And these politicians, guess what they say? This is the line. You ready? Here's what the media will ask a politician that's running for office. Will you say right now that you have no plans of changing any benefits to Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid? Can you say it right now to everybody that's watching this? I have no plans of... Yeah, of course. What, of course. what you're saying is, I have no plans of taking care of the next generation that's going to suffer the consequence of your burden that they're probably never going to have Social Security benefits, Medicare, Medicaid. So to me, I think when you think about parents, what responsibilities do we have to the next generation? What, what responsibilities, what do you think we, a good parent, what does a good parent owe their kids? What do they owe their kids as great parents? What do we owe our kids? Well, we owe, we owe them structure, discipline, true love, not enabling love, but true love is I okay. love you so much that I'm going to put boundaries around you to prevent you from making mistakes. It's not that I love you so much I'm going to bribe you with ice cream to get you to cooperate. So it's true love, boundaries, respect, discipline. You put that in a package, that's what you owe let, your kids. Let me ask this question. Is there a tradition where your parents uh, uh, for the longest time would help you with the first you know, 20% down payment on your house or a way to get you started to say, Hey son, you're just getting started. You're 28 years old. You're about to get married. You're starting your career. You're about to buy a million dollar house. Guess what? I'm going to help you with the down payment of the house to get you guys going. Okay. That's what I'm going to be doing. Do you think, do you think that ought to be a part of the responsibility of parents to get their kids started in a climate like this? Absolutely not. Tell me why. I mean, if you're rich, you know, the, that, that's a conversation you could have. Um, some people elect to maybe say, I have friends who are well off, and they'll say, well, we'll pay for your wedding, or we'll give you a down payment on your house. I don't know a lot of people whose parents are just like, yeah, a couple hundred grand, got you. I, I don't I think that's a thing. I didn't say a couple hundred grand. Or, okay, no, 50 I, grand, whatever the 50 number is. 50 grand. I, by the way, I don't yeah, think... I don't know. How, do you know a ton of people, ton of families that do that for their kids? I think in the Middle Eastern side, oh, of course, that's a big part of the Middle Eastern oh, culture. Big maybe I gotta like, start hanging out with Middle Easterns like, more. But, but, but let me ask you a question: in your in, in America, I'm actually re sincerely asking this question: uh, if you're you, if you have a son or a daughter, who pays for the wedding in America? The daughter, the, the family of the daughter, or the family of the son? Typically, the, the, the bride's parents. The bride, it's yeah. a uh, it's a long-standing right. joke: show up, shut up, pay up. And that's okay. the joke they always make about the bride's father. Is that tradition still going on today? 
for the most part. Yeah, I mean. Would you say it is? Yeah, it is. You're saying it is? The last yes. wedding I yep. went to, that's yeah. how it was. Yeah. Yeah, Let's that's, keep that tradition going, yeah, guys. Come my, on, guys. Let's not stop that. In my well, circle well, Thomas, of friends. Thomas, my you circle know, of friends. lobbying my, for the other way around. My circle of friends are. He's got two daughters. It's still happening yeah, right. this way. Okay, got it. So, well, so, that means you're going to be 50-50 on this thing. Is, I'm is told, someone to pay for your boys? I, I will gladly want to give this way and this way. Yeah. I want to gladly be a flag carrier to do this way because without mm-hmm. them, I'm not around. And without them, I'm not around. But I think there's too much of burden coming down from here in this generation. Mm-hmm. I, don't think it's, I don't think right now a 22-year-old, 25-year-old graduates in a better climate than they were in. Like we're, we're having a conversation. Peter was asking a question uh, last week. What was the question you were asking? You were like, Pat, how is Brandon going to buy a house? Mm-hmm. He says, and I've done well for myself. How are these people going to buy a house? I don't understand how people are g- coming out of their careers. How are you going to buy a house? Mm-hmm. The, the thought of buying a house today in your 20s and you're a regular person, not you're a peak performer, you're the top yeah. guy sales. No, I'm talking about regular no. person. How does, a, how does a regular 28-year-old person that got out of college, they got a job starting at 50 grand a year, then they go to, you get 3% raise. Let's say you get 4% raise every year, okay? 4%, you go from 50 to what? 52, 54, 56, 58, 60, 63, 66, 60, what? 69, 73. In 10 years, 70. Right? It's 15 years, 15 years before years. you're at 75. After yeah. taxes, you're only making four grand a month. The mortgage payment is three grand a month. Yep. So if we go the way we're going right now, the average guy coming out of college making 50 at 22, 23, 24, 25, you ain't making 100 till you're 40. So if you ain't making 100 till you're 40, you're paying 30% in taxes. That's $70,000 a year. That's 6000 How the hell are you going to buy a house, a $600,000 house? First of all, you need 20% down payment. Six, 20% on $600,000 house is one twenty. Where do you find $120,000? You've been paying taxes every year. You need someone to help you out. So to me, I think the messaging has got to be from parents is, one, what value are you passing down? Okay? What burden are you going to be lifting off your kids? Okay? Is, is it like if I'm sitting here as a parent thinking and if I have to decide between – let's just say I'm a regular person. I don't have the, 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 the money that I have right now. Say I'm making 92 grand a year. I'm having a conversation with my kid and saying, hey, Teek, Dilly, question for you. Would you rather have me pay for your college or would you rather have me give you $50,000 at 25 when you start your career or you get married and I help you out with X, Y, Z? When Jennifer and I were getting married, I had money in the bank. I asked Jennifer the following question. I said, babe – do you want a house? Do you want a big wedding? Or do you want a big ring? I'm not doing all three. She's, and by the way, for us, ain't nobody paying for the wedding, dog. <laughs> not from neither side, because neither of our families have money. Yeah. Okay? Yep. One's from Arkansas and, you know, uh, Laporte, Texas, and the other one's a cashier at a 99-cent store. My dad <laughs> brought a 99-cent Clippers hat from 1990s to say, hey, here's a gift. But they gave us love. That's what we got. We got nothing else. So I'm sitting there saying, which one do you want? And she says, babe, I don't care. You know, I have money. You know how much I paid for Jen's ring when we got married? $3,000. Wow. I'll give you the exact number. $3,300. She wears it till today. Okay? Awesome. Till today. Respect, we kept yeah. the cash. We rented. And I said, I'm not buying a house because we're going to put this money into our business. Good. And we had a big wedding. And our wedding, 450 people. It was great. We had a great time. Fantastic. It was good to go. But I think those types of conversations need to be had more today to say, hey, kid, I can pay for your college. Or you can figure out a way to get through the next phase. And then at, when you get married, I got $25,000 for you. And when you decide to buy a house at 25 years old, once you show me you can make 
80 grand a year or 100 grand a year or 60 grand a year, I got $50,000 down payment to give to your house. I think, I think parents have to also realize we have some kind of a responsibility for them because the burden is a big burden right now on kids. Yep. Massive burden on kids right now. I, I don't know if this is a comfortable conversation anybody wants to talk about because the, the burden will be on a lot of boomers who are sitting there saying, no, they need to take care of us. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Man, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's I, I don't you, care if it's comfortable or not. I think it's a very necessary conversation. I, I, yeah. I've, I've told... I've told my kids, and I know I think Bailey, the golf girl, is probably listening right now because it's summer, and she and the BizDoc babe tuned into the podcast. Hi, Bailey. But hello. She says hello. Hello. Um, And what I told her, I said, look, you will come out with no debt. I will make sure through your college education there's no debt. But every penny you get of scholarship, whether it's athletic scholarship, academic scholarship, every penny – that you can offset through your attainment is is yours and i'm gonna we're gonna talk about how we use that when you graduate you want to use it starting out fine you know weddings are a different thing but pat i've told them i've said look this is what i'm going to do this can help you start if you're if you're starting a business, whatever you're doing, yeah. but I'm not, I'm not infinite here. I'm not, I'm not an infinite piggy bank. This is what we have for college. If you contribute with good academic performance and stuff, then some of that you're saving for yourself. And that's a contract that I've made, made with her, and she gets it. Well, let me just say this. Your daughter's very lucky to have a father like you yeah. because you've done very well for yourself. You love your kids a lot. You're an ideal father. You're amazing. Most kids don't have that type of parent in their life, meaning they might have the love, they might have the structure, they might have the values, they might have the principles, but their parents aren't in the top 1%, top 10%, so they got to figure it out elsewhere. I love the example you gave of the 25-year-old who's making 50 grand, then he's making 52, then he's making 55. There used to be a time in America, a generation ago, where a working man can have one job the wife could stay home with the kids. She didn't need to work, and he could pay for the family, the mortgage, the car, the dog, the fence, the boom, the everything. Those days are long gone. So women work these days. Now, it's a, a lot of times it takes two incomes to raise a family. You know, a lot of times they, they joke and they say that the richest people in the world are dinks, dual income, no kids, because kids are expensive. They think they cost about a quarter million bucks a year from zero to 18. And um, it's a situation these days, and, and, and women are making more money than ever, and they're looking at average men, and they're like, why do I need you? I make more than you. That's why they're all going after the top 10% of men, and there's a whole dating situation going on these days. According to the Department of Agriculture, I don't know why they're doing this, it costs yeah. $233,000 to raise a kid from zero to 18 unless the kid's working on a farm. That figure is likely closer to 288. But uh, another point. You talked about the, the burden, you know, the baby boomers have sort of done the millennials and the Gen Z's dirty, right? They've run up the debt. Um, they haven't saved a ton of money. You hear Bernie Sanders constantly complaining, you know, 50% of all boomers are going to retire with no fucking money. But as Vinny's favorite word, constituents, that's who's voting. So the, the, the politi- politicians are always going to pander to the old people because they're going to come out and vote and they're going to vote on the key issues, which are entitlement programs, social security, Medicare, Medicaid. Those aren't going away anytime soon. And it's them. Yeah. And, and the politicians are also 70 years it's, old. We're talking about the same. Exactly. Group. So you're looking at a yeah, mirror but, over but, here, but let me, let me, it's the let same me t- cohort. Let me tell you what I can't stand when parents do to their kids. I, I just got to tell you, and I've been around, I, I was trying to study my, in my twenties about parenting. And I'm like, 
Yeah, my dad didn't do that. My dad never said, make money so you can take care of me. He's never once said that. Matter of fact, I had to force my dad mm -hmm. to move to my house. He never wanted to come be a burden on me, ever. He never wanted to be a burden on me, ever. Like, it was hard for him to already move here. Now, don't get me wrong. He's settled now. He's doing great. He's happy. But he's mm -hmm. still working until today. But I think when I see parents do stuff like this, well, you know, Joey here is going to grow up to be a professional Major League Baseball player so daddy doesn't have to work anymore. You know what a turnoff it is when I hear a father yeah. say something like that? Uh -huh. You know what a turnoff it is when I'm watching a De La Hoya uh, 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 documentary that's talking about my dad told me, hey, mijo, you got to go be a boxer so we don't have to work anymore. We can stop being poor. Hey, why don't you do that? Why yeah. didn't you do that? Mm -hmm. Like why? Like sales leaders, I'll see them talking to their sales guys and they'll say stuff like this. Hey, uh, uh, you know, you need to go around appointments at 10 o'clock at night. And, and what are you doing at 5 o'clock? You're at the house watching the Lakers play? You yeah. need to run appointments at 10 o'clock at night. You're telling your sales guys to go. How come you're not running appointments so you can get the override? It's this concept of people asking others to do the work that they themselves didn't want to do. Why not set the example for your kids? Why not set the example of you improving yourself in your 50s and your 60s? These, there are parents right now that are 60 years old. They're thinking they're dead. Bro, Tony Bennett died at 96. You got 35 more years of living to do, and you're only 60 years old. This concept of, you know, my body hurts, I'm in pain, I'm in this, I'm in that. Totally get it. My dad, if you look at his hands, okay, if you're around my dad, his stomach, he, you know, what do you call it, uh, uh, um, when the intestines, he's got a hole in it. So Protruding? No, his, his intestines comes out all the way out of here. He has to wear a belt to push it in. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. It's an abdominal hernia. Abdominal hernia, hernia is what he's got. He walks like a, uh, a, a, a hunchback of uh, uh, Iran. Okay, yeah, Dylan, <laughs> Dylan makes fun of him every time he walks. Dylan does the walk. He says, Daddy, this is how Papa walks. And so. he does his walk, and they're so funny. His hands, arthritis. Okay, The guy was in a hospital a couple months ago. Never once has he used that as an excuse to not work and improve himself. Do you know how much relatives of my dad, my mom said, couldn't stand him because he kept working? And relatives that we had in our family since 40 years old have been bitching about not being healthy, and they were 10 times healthier than my dad, and my dad had 13 heart attacks. This is not a comfortable conversation to have. I totally get it. Like, I'm not going to make any new friends today. I'm not going to be like, I'm going to walk in Palm Beach. A 72-year-old hey, lady is going to come and say, hey, how are you? You're an asshole. You know that? <laughs> I can't believe you want me to work. No. I think mm -hmm. the burden is being passed on. And these guys' dreams is not becoming a reality. Yep. So can we save this thing in one year? No. This is something that can be fixed in 20 years. This is not a one-year fix. But we can't sit there and say, let's keep passing down all this stuff to the next generation. Screw them. they got to figure it out. They're younger. I don't think it's fair. By the way, American confidence in higher education down sharply. This is a Gallup poll, okay? Down sharply. Uh, uh, here, here we go. Uh, Cuomo, we're having a conversation with Cuomo in the back of the cigar lounge, and he's not sure if he's going to put one of his kids through college. He says, I'm going to have the kid maybe go one year to see what's going to happen with him. That's a very normal conversation people are having right now. Here you go. Americans' confidence in higher education has sharply declined to 36%, down from 57% in 2015. Okay, we're not talking about like a slight decline. In 2015, just eight years ago, we were at 57%. We're at 36%. And when it was at 48% in 2018, 
only 17% have a great deal of confidence, with 19% having a quite a lot of confidence, while 40% have some, 22% have very little confidence. All major group subgroups, particularly Republicans, have shown a decrease in confidence. Republicans experienced the largest drop, falling 20 points to 19%, the lowest among group. Confidence amongst adults without a college degree and those age 55 and older are also dropped significantly. So watch this. Republican confidence, major drop-off. Confidence amongst adults without a college degree, major drop-off, which makes sense. They didn't have one either. But the one that's confusing is aged 55 and older. You're 55. Those are the people that tell their grandkids to do what? Go to school, stay in college, get a degree. Now they're saying, hey, Johnny, guess what? I changed my mind. You may have other options. Democrats are the only subgroup with majority-level confidence in higher education at 59%. There's a growing divide between Republicans and Democrats regarding their confidence, with Democrats concerned about costs and Republicans expressing concerns about politics in higher education. So guess what? Families are not even waking up right now saying, hey, let's send our kids to school. There's other ways to make money today. So, Tom, for somebody that went to school, you were an adjunct professor at Biola, at Pepperdine. What do you see when you're seeing something like this and your daughter just three weeks ago got 1560 on her SATs? So I see two things going on right now. Um, obviously, the, the circle, my social circle, is a lot of conservative people that are concerned about, they said, they call it here politics, it's quality. Dems are concerned about price, Republicans are concerned about quality. It's kind of interesting. It's a very economic uh, balance there. But in, in my social circle, I'm seeing people very concerned about this and very concerned about sending their kid for school for anything except STEM or business or technical skill, meaning medicine. Like you're going to be an engineer, that's STEM. Medicine, that's also STEM. Science, or, technology, engineering, math. Correct. correct? Or okay. they're going to get a business degree because they could apply that. If you want to run a nonprofit, go get a management degree. You can apply that. So people are concerned about anything but that because of indoctrination and quality on that side. On the other side, you know, people are concerned about the ongoing cost. That's why Dems want, you know, forgive all the student loans. I pay. I, bought and paid for something, I don't like it anymore, and now I want to get a refund, is basically what it boils down to. What, what I see is I see, you know, a problem with education itself that has run amok. And one of the, you're talking about changes in government. One of the things that I would go after is I would go after the, the enablement of student loans. Because if student loans get forgiven, what are the universities going to do, drop their prices? No. They're sitting on these giant endowments. They're not going to drop the price because the next, the next generation is going to get student loans again. They can charge whatever price they want, and the federal government is a backstop of affordability so all these kids can just get the student loans and, and run the tab up again. It is a vicious credit card cycle. I think the problem is two-sided. It's the cost, the opportunistic nonprofit universities that keep raising the cost and what they've decided to be woke in teaching, that's the problem. That is the whole problem. And on the other side of it, you've got rational people are saying, man, if my kid's not going to go into STEM or business, I'm really worried about this because what are you going to do with that education? You know, you know what it's like? Last night, it's midnight. This guy Plummer comes up, and his name is Vinny. Okay? Senna couldn't believe it. Really? Yeah. So we're outside, flashlight, all this stuff. Here's the issue. There's flooding everywhere. It's a mess. 
And in my mind, while I'm walking up, he says, I'm about to give you the quote on what it's going to cost you to fix this. You know what I'm saying in my mind? Okay. So let's just say he says $1,000, which wasn't $1,000. a lot more than $1,000. What am I going to say? Yeah, let me get a second uh, uh, opinion, uh, opinion. Right. At, at midnight. Yeah, no. And not have water for. He also uh, sees your yeah. house. He's yeah, like, he also All sees right. the house. He sees the community. So then I'm like, in my mind, I'm asking, what's your number that you're going to say no to? Yeah. Then, you know what one side of PBD said? There is no number. I'm not joking with you. There is no number. What am I going to do? Yeah, say no. The, the heater is uh, about to explode, the tank, because dirt is going through it. So if you leave it like that, it's going to go into all that. And then it's going to be a half a million dollar, a million dollar deal because it's all this stuff that within the house. So he gives me the number. And what are you negotiating? There is no negotiation. No, he'll leave. No, okay, yeah. no problem. You want to think about it? Yeah. Oh, right, cool. Okay, yeah. <laughs> Problem's going to get bigger. But you literally have no power in this position. The mm-hmm. only thing that that person has to think about is do I want this guy as a referral source or do I want this guy to keep doing business with me? So he can rip me off once mm-hmm. and I'll never do business with him and I still have to pay him and I'll tell the world about it. Or he can be fair and I'll continue doing business with him and I'll tell the world about it. Guess what? He tells me the price. I said, why is this going to cost us much money? Because this part is this much money. I go online. He was right. In front of him, I'm doing it. I, yeah. The part was $1,500. Then there's labor. Then him coming up at late. Then he's dug a whole thing. The whole th- guy's dirt. Yeah. Dirty all over the place on him, right? So I said, no problem. Let's go ahead and do We cut the check. You know, a few thousand dollars right there, whatever. But what's the moral of the story? Guess what? The same way hospitals are not regulated on what they charge you when you stay at that. There is no regulation. You know hospitals don't have a regulation on what they can charge you. Do, yeah. you. do you know that? They can charge you. There is no menu when you go to the hospital saying, how much does this cost? How much does that cost? The same way hospitals don't have a menu with prices because they can choose whatever they want the prices to be, colleges don't have a regulation on what the prices are going to be. Colleges can increase it and say, don't. No problem. Don't. Do whatever you want. There is no regulation. The only thing we ever did to hold hospitals accountable was in 2019, 2020, Trump came up with a law to force hospitals to uh, put their numbers publicly or else they're going to get fined. Guess what? Out of 6,000 hospitals, Brandon, how many of them have been fined? Four out of 6,000 hospitals have been fined. Four out of 6,000 hospitals have been fined. They're like, screw you. We're not going to put these numbers publicly. Only four have been fined. And the fine is like 20 grand. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not like a big fine that they're doing anyways. They wanted to raise it to $2 million for bigger hospitals. Moral of the story here right now, there has to be a major shift in the way the economy is going. People's income hasn't exploded. This whole concept of the rich getting richer, poor getting poor. No middle class. The, the middle class is Screwed. gone. RFK talked he about did. this recently yep. when he was talking to Debbie Wasserman. If you can pull up this story, Rob, to go transition into that. He said that's the only thing that sustains democracy, Pat, is the middle class. And that's what they've been trying to get rid of is the middle class. Because if you just have rich and poor, it's, mm-hmm. it's let, not let sustainable. Me, let, me, let me read this. So uh, yeah. RFK's, uh, RFK Jr. snaps at Debbie Wasserman Schultz, you are slandering me. This is a story that just came out. This was, what, a couple days ago? Yeah, uh, last well, week. If you have the clip on Twitter, Rob, to show it, uh, 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 let me see here, page 7. So RFK sparred with Florida. Uh, rep, by the way, uh, yeah, Florida represent Debbie Wasserman Schultz over his history of controversial statements on Thursday. 
testifying before so-called House sub- subcommittee on the weaponization of the federal government. Kennedy denied the congressman's, congresswoman's characterization of his commi- uh, comments that COVID-19 may have been ethnically targeted, affecting Jewish and Chinese people less than others. As Washer- Wasserman Schultz attempted to cut him off, Kennedy got frustrated. You are slandering me incorrectly. What you're saying is dishonest. Angrily, angrily pointed a finger in her direction, asked about another one of his past statements in which he invoked Nazi Germany while discussing COVID-19 public health restrictions. He again barked back, Congressman, what you're saying is simply a lie. Can you pull up this video real quick? How long is this video, Rob? Uh, two minutes, 39 seconds. Go ahead. We'll play, we'll play part of it. Go for it. Mr. Chairman, we respectfully requested that you rescind Mr. Kennedy's invitation to be sure. appear here due to his repeated and very recent statements that spread dangerous anti-Semitic and anti-Asian conspiracy theories and attempted to move into executive session because House rules prohibit public testimony that degrades or defames people. His reckless rhetoric helped fuel anti-Semitic incidents, which for the record are at the highest level in the United States since 1970. They have nearly tripled in the last six years. Since you gave Mr. Kennedy a megaphone today, I want to give him a chance to correct his statements and prepare some of the harm that he's helped cause. Mr. Kennedy, you're well-educated. So yes or no, please. Are you aware that for centuries, Jews have been scapegoated and blamed for causing illnesses like Black Plague and more recently COVID? I am. Those are known as blood libel, and they are one of the worst and most disturbing parts of uh, human history. Good. I'm glad to know that, of course, that you, that you acknowledge that. Of course, it's true and well documented that this pernicious form of anti-Semitism led to centuries of discrimination, even horrific pogroms and massacres, and it still fuels deadly violence today. Yet last week, you floated a baseless conspiracy theory that the coronavirus was bioengineered to target Caucasians and black people, but to spare Ashkenazi Jews and Chinese people. Mr. Kennedy, your bizarre, unproven claim echoes that same historic slander of labeling Jews and Chinese people as a race, and that Jews, and in this case Chinese people, somehow managed to avoid a deadly illness that targets other groups for death. You do see that, yes or no? You're misstating. No, 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 no. Uh, I quoted quoted what you said earlier, and it it is directly what you said. So just ask me, Uh, yes or no? I was was describing... An NIH-funded study. No, 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 you didn't cite was. I was describing an NIH-funded study by Cleveland Clinic scientists. Reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. You did not reference. Reclaiming my time. Published in USC Medical, which is one. I hate her. The time is mine. I'm reclaiming it. Please ask the witness to stop talking. You asked me a question. Reclaiming. Allow me to answer my question. Mr. Chairman, I'd like about 10 time, seconds the back. Time, the time belongs. You are slandering me incorrectly. The, the time belongs. You're saying is dishonest. They can't stand him. I I no, no, they can't stand all of them. Big time. Mr. Chairman, from I'd like 15 seconds back. We will be happy to give you that. Thank you so much. We will be happy. You did not yeah. cite any study like yes, you are citing did. here now during that conversation. You referenced no study at all. You simply yes, labeled Jews and Chinese people as a race. And you also said that somehow they managed to avoid a deadly illness that targets other groups for death. You don't see that. You're trying to rewrite history here. Okay, so reaction to it, well, right? Well, You're seeing what's going on. Go ahead, Vinny. She, well, first of all, let's just, I don't want anybody to forget who Debbie Wasserman Schultz is. She knows who she is, right? That, you know, during the 2016 election. First, first of all, I want to make one point. Look at, look at what happens when you work with the Clintons. This is Debbie Wasserman Schultz, 2016. And once you start working with the Clintons, something happens. And show her a photo right now. Look at that is what happens to you when you're in with the wow. Clintons. And Patrick, mind you, she was, she was during the 2000s. It's 2000- not the same person, is That's it? That's her. That is her. 
That's the Clinton juice inside you right there. So listen, she, she was a DNC well, she chair. She obviously didn't drink that. Uh, the, she does not drink any adrenochrome. Looks like, any. Looks like but, a drowned but, but, cat. Uh, you guys know what happened? She was a DNC chair, and then WikiLeaks released a bunch of emails between her and the heads of the DNC trying to oust uh, Bernie Sanders. So that's when you're evil inside, that's what comes out of you. But Pat, let's not, let's not forget. This is what happens when, when you're... Uh, uh, you're trying to run for the Democratic Party, and you said stuff like verbatim. Democrat Party has become a party of forever wars, the party of pharmaceuticals, and the party of censorship. Okay, he's he's doing exactly what his father and his uncle uh, tried to do, and that's help the American people. But when they want to knock you down, what do they go? What do they go to? What's their playbook? You're racist. That's number one. And mind you, this is a censorship meeting, and they're a hearing, and they're trying to censor a guy. And everything that she said was completely false. And uh, think about this. The fact that they can't assassinate him, Pat, because you know what? Everybody has a camera. It's not just Zapruder with one camera on the grassy knoll. Everybody has a camera. If they could kill him, they would, but they can't. So when they can't assassinate you with a gun, they assassinate your character. I saw those videos. He didn't say any of that in that context. This is supposed to be a hearing. A hearing is supposed to be a two-way um, exchange where Congress subpoenas you and experts presented by the government and people that are there, like the social media people are there. Are we really having teen suicides here? And they bring everybody together and they debate it. She's sitting there and trying to corner. Okay, I'm gonna talk for 60 seconds. Yes or no, please. Yes or no, please. Yep. And it's like, I can't answer that yes or no. I can't answer that yes or no. You're asking me a question. It, 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 it invokes dialogue. And this is Debbie well, Wasserman. Both sides do it to each other. To be fair, both sides do it to each other. Republicans do it to Dems. Dems do it to Republicans. But that's not the that's not the concern. The concern to me is how much they fear him. Big time. Okay? Big time. How much they fear him. By the way, that's why. Yeah. Here, here, here's the part we have to realize. Unfortunately, unfortunately, he can't be the Ross Pro. I keep talking about that. You know, he could be the Ross Pro. I don't think he can go back and run as a third party if it doesn't work out for him. No. He's done, done. He's no. ran as a Democrat. He can't run as a third party. By the, at the end, he's going to make a lot of noise. He's going to do what he's doing. And eventually, he'll be out. And they're not even worried about RFK. They're not even sitting and worried about him. But they fear him. They can't stand him. He's in the way. And the same exact way, by the way, look at the profile of the establishment, who they like and who they don't like. You want to know who the establishment likes? Here's who the establishment likes. The establish, uh, establishment loves, and, and this is where Chris and I disagree, because everything he said to me, I'm like, you sound like an anti-establishment guy. What happened mm -hmm. to you in the last two and a half years? We've had a lot of good conversations the last couple of days. Uh, but, you know, the anti-establishment, this is what they don't like. They don't like somebody they cannot control, okay? They right. like people they can't control. They, didn't, they couldn't control Andrew Cuomo, and of course he had some uh, uh, issues in the past, but you've known that for many years. So the DNC just waited until they knew they couldn't control him. I bet there was a call. Again, this is speculation. I bet there was a call saying, Andrew, if you don't do X, Y, Z the way we want it, here's what's going to be happening. And guess what? What do you think Andrew probably said? No. Boom. Bye. You're out. You're fired. Yep. Immediately he's fired. Hey, guess what? RFK. Here's what we know about you. If you don't come out and follow order, guess what? You're going to be fired. He's not doing it. You think this is the worst of what they're going to do to him? Oh, no. This is just the beginning of what they're going to do to this guy. The best stuff they're hanging on to is in the next couple months here, what's going to happen to him. But the, the whole conversation here started with the fact that the way America is going today, the way America is going today, the future 
is going to be not necessarily that bright for the next generation because the future is going to be filled with burdens for the next generation if we don't make better decisions today. College education is being challenged, beautiful thing. Our current system economically is being challenged, beautiful thing. Our term limits is being challenged with Congress because they're not making the best choices. All they're thinking about is what can get them reelected, beautiful thing. There's about five or six things we can do to put accountability onto people that they can get fired. If we don't have that, it's going to be gone. One of the things I love, uh, the difference between insurance and, and, and mortgage and real estate. Check this out. Think about the level of accountability. This part sucks about insurance, but it's also great about insurance. So watch this. If I sell you a million-dollar house, I'm a realtor. I sell you a million-dollar house. It's Tom's house. Tom bought this house 20 years ago. He's got a $500,000 loan, okay? And he is now selling it to Adam, okay? So Thanks, Adam Tom. pays a million. Tom walks away with what? Half a million. $500,000 yeah. minus whatever he paid to the seller's fee. Yeah. I'm his realtor. Yeah. And I walk away selling a million-dollar house at, say, 4%, 5%. Let's say 5%. $50,000 commission. If I'm at 50%, I just got what? $25,000. The bank, you, Vinny, working for B of A, get the loan. So you gave him a loan of a million dollars at, let's just say, 6% today. Okay. So you're like, yeah, no problem. I'll give him a loan for 6% based on his credit. He walks away with a half a million. I walk away with the commission. He's not living in the house. You got the loan, okay? Six months later, if Adam says, screw this, I don't want to make the payment anymore, okay? I don't want to make the payment anymore. What do I say? Can you call me and tell me, hey, Pat, this was your client. You sold it to this and da 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 No. Nope. I got my commission. You can't do nothing to me. Can you, the bank, go after Tom? Nope. nope. Tom got his money. He sold his house. It's not on him. The only person right now that is left with that debt is who? Vinny, you. The bank. There is no chargeback to me. There is no chargeback to Tom. And guess what Adam's going to say? I'm not going to make the payments for a year. And guess what? You can't kick me out because there's laws <laughs> in different states that you can't. I don't know what the names of those laws are, but you can't kick me out. I'm staying in this house, okay? Yeah. So in insurance, here's how it works. He is the client. Your AIG. Mm-hmm. I sell him a million-dollar insurance policy, and it's $250 a month. You, AIG, pay me an advanced commission, one-year advanced commissions. Let's just say you pay me $3,000. Make sense? Mm-hmm. If three months later Adam says, I don't want to make the payment anymore, and he says zero, guess who calls me to go collect the payment from Adam? You, yeah, AIG. AIG. <laughs> and guess what you tell me? If you don't collect the payment from Adam, you're about to get a chargeback of $3,000. That money's going to come back to us. Wow. So guess what I'm doing? I'm calling Adam yeah. yep. to make sure we collect the money. This is why many realtors and loan officers don't want to go into life insurance because they love the fact that they can sell and there is no chargeback. And this is why, in my opinion, insurance agents are bigger professionals because they have to follow up. And if you're not a professional, you're out of the industry. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why it's a great life long term. So what's the moral of the story? I just gave you a master class on how insurance and Real estate pays commission. The more we can have accountability of multiple parties, this is happening with Medicare and Medicaid. The health insurance company gets their premium on a monthly basis. They pay their deductible, whatever it is, and they walk, well, I got my money. I don't have to worry about it. It's on you now. Hospital, go collect that money. You got to do what you got to do. The more there's accountability to education. Why are you charging this much money? Based on what? Why are you doing this? Why are you charging us so much for Medicare and Medicaid? Why are we not finding out about all this cost? If we can get everybody to be publicly held accountable for the decisions they're making, 
everything would change. What did Warren Buffett say? He said, I can fix and the national s- debt problem in five seconds by doing what? If, what's his words, Rob? If you can pull this up, it's all over the place. Warren Buffett, how to fix the national debt. You just got to type that into Twitter. He had a whole fact. No, it was quick. No, no, it was quick. It was very fast. Just type in Warren Buffett national debt. Just type in national debt. It's 10 seconds. He was eating ice cream. It's 10 seconds. Go to videos. Don't give what he says. Let's hear what he says himself. So uh, right there. Click on that one right there. Make that bigger. Yeah, it's 42 seconds. Can you play that? Oh, it's uh, okay. If you can make that bigger, audio, beautiful. Becky, perfect. Watch this. This is Warren Buffett, $100 billion guy. Here's what he says. Go for it. These problems are are problems that have built up over decades, and there hasn't been a Congress that's been mature enough or a president that's been mature enough to take this head off. I could end the deficit in five minutes. You just pass a law that says that anytime there's a deficit of more than 3% of GDP, all sitting members of Congress are ineligible for re-election. Yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Now, now you've got the incentives in the right place, right? Brilliant. By the way, that's accountability. Big time. The curse right. word in America the last four, 30 years mm-hmm. has been accountability. If we can bring accountability in hospitals, in Congress, in Medicare, Medicaid, in real estate, in education – a lot of things are going to change. But they fear that one word, accountability. Mm-hmm. They fear that one thing because you can get away with murder if there's no accountability. Well, and so, there's one side of the political spectrum, Pat, that's been preaching and controlling people by saying, you're not accountable for that. You've been victimized, and I'm here to help you. And how has that been working out? <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Yeah, how has that been working out? Have those out? people, okay, has your, has your hero of victimhood, you know, helped you over the last 20 years? Are you better off than no, you were not. 20 years ago? No. Yes. But you keep voting for it. It's crack cocaine now, and you keep voting for it. By the way, so we talk about this stuff. You can say, Pat, you're crazy. That's insane. It's not fair. What about this? What about that? Some of you may say, like, when I did the interview with Anthony Weiner, and obviously, I said I would never bring up Frazzle Drip because it's irresponsible, right? I would never bring Ever. up the 9 out of 12 cops that committed a suicide within a few months. That's irresponsible. And then I talked about why are all these people dying. dying. And I said, your reaction is an answer to Anthony Weiner, right? Mm-hmm. And media reacts to it. People write about it. There's all these other videos. But guess what happened? Maybe it influenced a few people to go look into it and say, why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Matter of fact. Just this couple days ago, yesterday, story comes out about what? A story comes out about Barack Obama's chef. Personal chef. 911 phone call for Obama's chef reported possibly drowning. Martha's Vineyard is plunged into chaos as body of ex-presidents cook 45 years old is found 100 feet from shore in paddle boarding drowning accident. Let me read the story to you. And we're not tying the two together, by the way. This is just the story of people to do research. So it says... Tafari Campbell, great name, a former uh, uh, chef for the Obamas, was found dead in eight feet of water after a possible drowning incident while paddleboarding on Edgar Town, Great Pond, Massachusetts. Witness, witnesses saw him struggling to stay afloat before he went underwater around 7.46 p.m. Massachusetts State Police, U.S. Coast Guard, and local authorities, including Edgar Town Fire an air wing were part of the rescue mission. Michelle and Barack Obama paid tribute to Campbell, stating Tafari was a beloved part of our family, a warm, fun, extraordinary kind of person who made all of our lives a little brighter. Campbell was known for brewing White House honey ale beer and was one of the four White House cooks asked to stay under the uh, Obama administration. When the story first broke, a lot of different media outlets said the fact that he didn't know how to swim. Matter of fact, there was a post of Instagram 
of him hashtag still don't know how to swim or something like that. I don't yeah. know if you saw that yeah. or not, where he didn't know how to swim. And then a video appeared, Rob. I don't know if you have the video or not. There's a video of on him, his, of him Twitter, swimming right there. This is him. This is him on Twitter. Uh, if you can play this clip. He knows how to uh, swim, uh, Pat. He's so this is him swimming. That's pretty solid to swim like that. That's backstroke that he's doing Looks there. Like he yeah. has flippers on. He says progress, fit chef, and fit uh, chef. There's you one. Know, there's one where he's doing the backstroke. He's doing the butterfly. Yeah. Got, so this, this like, is him. Like, I don't know if I would call him an Olympic swimmer, but I think he knows Olympic how to swimmer, swim. But, okay. And yeah. if you're in eight mm. feet of water and you don't know how to swim, all you got to well, do. Pat, is, look, he's doing the backstroke. Yeah. So look, the story first said he didn't know how to swim. Then this came out that he knew how to swim. Uh, by the way, he had twin sons with his wife. He, yeah. had, he had twin sons with his wife, and the story is out. While we're watching this, Alper, my chef, is standing next to me saying, Alper, did you see this story? He's kind of like, you know, uh -huh. I was saying earlier he ran out. I haven't seen him <laughs> yeah. since he just took off. Because he doesn't know how to swim. Yeah. Pat, did you, see, did you see? Well, first of all, paddle boarding, there's no, there's, no wake, there's no waves. There's no nothing. It was late at night. He was with somebody else. He was with another male, which nobody knows what happened to that, to that guy. And then Hillary Clinton, I guess, had the same, not, not a swimming incident, but didn't one of her chefs pass away? This guy, he died by drowning in 2015. It's, like, it's just a weird, it's just weird coincidences that these people are just randomly drowning and dying. And mind you, if, Pat, if you're not home, is your chef, is your personal chef chilling at your house and swimming? And is Albert hanging out at your house when you're not there? What, what I'm not there, no. No. But, but uh, I don't think that's a, uh, that would be the reason to jump into conclusion that something could be happening. The, the whole point is when, when something like this happened, you've, like, for example, I went and ate at this one restaurant, MC Chef, I don't know what it's called. It's a beautiful place in Miami. And Sam and I are there, and I said, so tell me the history about this restaurant. I asked the waiter, and the waiter says, oh, you don't know the story of this restaurant? No. He says, the chef used to cook for the Miami Heat all the time. So LeBron, Wade, everybody would come here all the time. I said, no way. He says, yes. He says, you know what happened? I said, what? He says, LeBron liked the chef so much that he hired him, and they moved to L.A. with him. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, cool. Nice. Because this happens. Like, for me, there's a guy right here I like to go to, a restaurant I go to. I really like the way he does things. If one day I run a restaurant or we do anything, I would like him to come with us because I trust him. There's a relationship with a chef. So Obama's obviously trusted these guys. So Let's just kind of look at it without jumping into conclusion yeah. with anything. They liked the chef so much, they said, hey, why don't you come and be a chef for us? So take all the other stuff that people are speculating. Something could have happened. Something was natural. It took place. It's tragic, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Great. They were out of town. Something like this happened. Now, the other side is, if you can play this clip, this is from June 24th of 2015, if you want to play this. Now know how Walter Sheeb died. His body was found Sunday night just off the Yerba Canyon trailhead in very rugged terrain. New Mexico State Police say after an autopsy, the medical investigator reports Sheeb drowned and his death is officially an accident. Sheeb moved to Taos in March. A friend told our partners the journal he this may have been trying to be closer to President his girlfriend. Bush and he previously Elena worked Clinton. as a chef in the White House, first under Bill Clinton and stayed on when George W. Bush took over. Last night, President Clinton released a statement reading in part... Hillary and I are saddened by the tragic passing of former White House executive chef Walter Sheeb. Our family was grateful to have Walter with us in the White House for six years, where we and visitors from around the world loved his delicious and creative meals. And former First Lady Laura Bush added, President Bush and I are saddened by the tragic death of former White House executive chef Walter Sheeb. Walter was an outstanding talent. He prepared magnificent dinners for world leaders and delicious fare for our family and friends. George and I send our heartfelt sympathy Great. to Walter's loved ones. Nice. What, I he would was, say, 
I would say a couple things. Number one, moving forward, before you become a chef at the White House, you have to take a one-month swimming lesson. 100%. We, like, that has to be mandatory. 100%. Moving forward because we can't afford these steps. Yeah. It's, it's a pattern. So now somebody may say, come on, guys. I can't believe you're going there. Do you know establishment what? presidents, you know, chef, you know, drowning? All and those three are pretty establishment type of presidents. A little bit weird that the average person is saying that's kind of weird, right? So mm -hmm. why do we talk about this kind of stuff? We're not talking about the educational system. Is there reason to send your kids to school or not? You know what it does? Somebody watches it, and they go take a deeper dive and say, this is my cause. Mm -hmm. The other night, we're doing an event here with Dave Smith. We're in the back having cigars with a bunch of different guys, and everybody's asking these questions and saying, so what do I do next? What is my cause? What is my fight? What is my this? There's about 100 fights you can pick and choose, okay? One could be... You don't like the educational system in America. Be obsessed about it. Go study every single thing you can about the educational system in different countries. What's right? What's wrong? What works? What doesn't? Become maniacal about that one topic. Another one could be what's going on with LGBTQ in schools and what they're doing. Go spend hundreds of hours just studying that topic. Know so much about it on how other countries handle it and Come out and say, why are we doing this? This is kind of weird. When did this happen? Like the video we did with the LGBTQ video in schools being exposed, the dark side of it. Go do your own due diligence with it. But the point is, we do this podcast and we bring variety of guests for it to spark. Like I just watched right now in the comments section, Eric Rodriguez. Is it Scott Rodriguez? I'm sorry. Scott Rodriguez has been a member of PBD Podcast, paying on a monthly basis for 13 months now. Congratulations, Congrats. Scott. We appreciate your loyalty. But he just... Quietly, we don't normally recognize these guys. He just bought 10 memberships for other members Sick. to be on the PBD podcast. Right Sick. now, he did that. Shout out to you, Scott. I'm sure Scott, we're going to see you with go, the baby. VBEX event. He's the Thank one that you gave you the support. World War II. He's the backpack, one that gave right? me a, a sick gift that yeah. got me emotional when I read the note. But we do this, and then people go, and they can come back and send an email and say, Pat, this is where you were wrong. All ears. Great. I want to read about it. Tell me, expose it. Or, Pat, I didn't think you even went that deep into it. You guys should have gone deeper. Or Vinny, that one thing you talked about, read this article. Hey, mm -hmm. Tom, can you read that article? Hey, Adam, can you read this article? And then the stories go more and more and more. But I think it's just a little bit weird that all of a sudden chefs have a pattern of disappearing from three presidents that are very close to each Pat, other. Pat, I'm all about patterns, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but isn't it weird? You tweet at Hillary yesterday, and all of a sudden you're plumbing. Is something's wrong with your plumbing? I'm just throwing that out there, Pat. <laughs> something's wrong with this plumbing. All of a sudden, in a multi-million-dollar house, all of a sudden, there's poop stuck in the pipes. I don't know, Pat. That's yeah. yeah. Suddenly, know. you have a sewage fountain and reflecting pool in front. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I think I that's Hillary. You saw what her. happened to oh, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. She looks like an alien now. You got to be careful, Pat. Don't I ever think uh, uh, it's perfectly acceptable for the. Although the most line interesting of thing of the whole thing is the. Uh, the Clinton quote about losing their chef was actually dated a week before he died. So it's sort of interesting. <laughs> Maybe they were going to be out of town. They were going to be out. They going to be out of town the following week, and they had to just be sure they, you yeah. know. I think it's perfectly oh acceptable so for the line of questioning that you used on Anthony Weiner, especially how close he was with the Clintons and all the stories and the narrative that have been surrounding that. At the same time, uh, let's not rush to judgment Ever. or even speculate on what the Obamas did or the Bush did. With the chef, I think it's a little too premature. I think that uh, we're it's a well within our right to to bring it up, no doubt. Uh, do I think there was anything nefarious? Do I think that the Obamas had the chef killed? Because no, I'm not there. 
You know how I feel about that. 100%. But you do your thing. Yeah. I'll do my thing. I think that it, it, it does deserve attention, you know. And uh, if you do want to look into it more, something tells me there was nothing nefarious going on here. But we'll see how the there's facts a, play there's out. There's a 99% chance there was nothing nefarious Zero. going on. He drowned. On. But here's the part. Yeah. The one thing we need, does that mean the 1% chance doesn't require a level of accountability and due diligence no. and research? Not at all. No doubt. Go look it up and see what yeah. comes out. But there's a 99% chance there was nothing nefarious going yep. on here. Mm -hmm. uh, in regards to Hillary Clinton, different story. It's one too many names. I think I'm not yeah. at 99% chance. I'm probably closer to a different percentage, but it is what it is. So I want to show you a clip here why the, the American people, if you're somebody that's watching this and saying, Man, I don't know if I trust the government as much as I used to, maybe you have a valid reason. Can you play this clip? With this? Can you play this clip? Oh, by the way, yeah, uh, LeBron uh, James' son just uh, suffered cardiac Hold arrest. On. What? Bronny James suffers cardiac arrest classes on, on USC court. LeBron just now. What the Holy hell? shit. This just happened right now, yeah. Cardiac Bronny, arrest? This yeah. is his first year at USC, the podcast I want to say. And again, yes. Pat, you know what people are going to oh, ask? Do you know, what, story, you know what's going to happen? Uh, oh, go was he it. vaccinated? That's going to be the number one question. Was he vaxxed? Because you know LeBron is. 100%. I want to find out if they... He's an 18-year-old super athlete, yep. son of a why, billionaire. Why is he collapsing? Now, this That's... is a story that we can discuss and speculate. That is very weird. Can well, we scroll down? Is there any justification? Because that's going to be the question. And the, like the same thing with Jamie Foxx. The question is, are you vaxxed? Are you boosted? Are you? The eldest son of Lakers superstar was hospitalized Monday after going to cardiac arrest, collapsing during a basketball practice. He's 18, placed in ICU, now in stable condition. He was practicing, suffered cardiac arrest. Medical staff was able to treat Bronny, take him to the hospital. Media update, more information. Savannah I, and publicly deep. Well, things. I have another article here that says that... Um, and I'm going to yeah. pull it up, but it says that LeBron James and his family are vaccinated. Yeah. Uh, There's no, listen, Pat. And that I, and is I, and I, very, very weird. strange. And I'm, I'm, you know what I'm getting sick and tired of? People that are like, like just like the Anthony Weiner's Pat, they're like, no, you guys, like, man, people have been collapsing and people are, there's, I've been alive for 45 years and I'm pretty, I paid attention. Never in the history of my life have I seen this many people, these ages, college College people, interviewers, the soccer, that soccer interviewer just passed out and fainted. No, it's not like, oh, they're dehydrated. No, something is going on, and there's no excuse. You don't think he's, he gets seen by doctors and he has, he's in tip-top shape? The, the son of the, the, the dopest basketball player on the planet that has all the money in the world. An 18-year-old has yeah. no business collapsing. Very weird. I'm sorry, bro. Let's see So like Doug Pat just said, do your research, dig into it. And you said they are vaccinated, Rob? Yes, that's according right to here. And how many boosters? God, God knows how many boosters. Who knows? Well, listen, this has happened a couple times. I think it happened, Peter, with Reggie Lewis, right? It happened with them, and it also happened with Pistol Pete. When he, it happened to him in Pasadena at a first Nazarene church, actually, I used to go to that place, in a pickup game, he had a heart attack in the middle of the basketball game, and he yeah. just collapsed. So it's, it's happened before. Yes. This is not the... Uh, first or the last time that it happened, but we're going to see what kind of investigation they're going to do into this because it shouldn't be happening to a healthy 18-year-old right. kid. It Absolutely happened. not. LaMarcus yeah. Aldridge a year ago had to sit out an entire season for heart issues. Yeah. Who was the tall? Who was the, the Bosch? Chris Bosch had something. Chris Bosch had, Chris Bosch had heart else. stuff. He had, no, he had blood clots. Oh. Mor Morning had something as well. Years ago, Lonzo yeah. Morning, I don't know if you remember when he had this to do the surgery. This is very weird. This sucks. This is yeah. sad. This is horrible to hear. Um, let's not rush a judgment. A lot of people rush a judgment about Jamie Foxx recently. He just came out and basically said, I'm back. Yeah. And there was, there was some sort of 
I don't know if it was a stroke situation. Well, but that's the thing. Nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody, nobody has any quiet about no, it, but it, it is idea. very weird. Let's, we have every right to question what's going on. It's too early. Listen, LeBron, if there's one thing, I, I don't agree with LeBron on many things. LeBron's, the way his relationship is with his kids, yeah. on how he allowed his son to change the name from LeBron to Bronny to have his own identity. He, 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 everything about him as a father, family, he does it right. So props to him in that area. And I'm sure the last thing you want is a father going through the pain of seeing something yeah. like this in, in, with your son. Totally agree Forget with Forget about the fact that it's you, embarrassing Pat. or whatever. Yes. It's public. The pain of a father Sorry. and a mother going through it. So let's, let's let totally. this thing uh, uh uh, 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 come out. We'll see. Hear more stories about it later on. So go to this clip here. Little weird clip. When I saw this clip, so here's somebody that's giving a message, reading something, and I want you to see the girl in the back on how she's just watch. It's a little weird. Okay, tell me if this is a little weird. Is it plastic, Pat? Go is ahead and play this. Go ahead and play this. Watch this. The girl in the right Bailey. corner. <laughs> Listen. Can you raise the audio, or that's it, Rob? With FBI oh, she's looking. Look at her. Yeah, she looks like she's going to pass out. Why? Wow. No, she wrote it. took place on July 17, 2023. Oh, she's going. Uh, no, she's line, reading she it says, to herself. Oh. Yeah. The question was asked, okay, if someone were to leave here today, were to leave this interview and were to suggest or imply that when you said the laptop was real, that it meant that the FBI had she affirmatively like determined in October yeah. 2020 Watch. that the laptop belonged to Hunter Biden, that the contents belong to Hunter that, Biden. That look that is like if you're playing poker against somebody like that. Way, she has eight. Get off the table. Yeah. What you said, correct? Answer by Ms. Demlo. They would be representing and look how she what corrects. I said. She probably wrote the lie. Much that. knowledge of that. They would be misrepresenting. Yeah. yeah, look at her. She wrote that. <laughs> she wrote it. She wrote this. <laughs> they may be representing. This was a totally different direction. I thought she was about to pass out. No, 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 no she wrote it. She wrote the speech. She's a ghostwriter. She memorized yeah. it. A little, little weird. So we yeah. got yeah. ghost painters, how, ghost writers. How weird do you think that is, though? I feel like staffers are writing speeches all the time. I don't well, think 100%. That's... Debbie Wasserman shows it in the way what she wrote. I don't think that's the part that's weird. I think the the topic of this issue is very weird. They're talking about Hunter Biden. and. You know, for her to be sitting there freaking out with the words that are coming out of the person that's speaking, you know, it's a little bit concerning that she has to correct the person that doesn't know how to, you know. She, yeah, yeah, that didn't even write it. Shocker, like, uh, the politician is just reading words that are yeah. on the screen like Ron Burgundy out Weird. here. Weird. Weird. Yeah. Well, stay classy, Adam. Of Seriously, course. Honestly, yeah. Pat, how would you like feel when they're speaking on something and somebody kept popping up? Like that. That wouldn't play I don't well. Know. I, I don't my, know how many leaders that would play well. I'd be like, hang on a second. Don't interrupt me. Let me deliver. Look, I have to deliver a speech. I have to make a statement. For better, for worse, I have to do it. But don't make me look weak by popping up next to me. Forget about the weak. This, yeah. to me, was a little bit, uh, uh, a little bit weird uh, on the way she was handling herself. I may have a conversation with her, and I'm going to say, hey, can we have a conversation? <laughs> I want you to watch yourself on this video. Why do you look like the Unabomber, like you're yeah. tied up with all these bombs around you? Relax. Right. Yeah. Take it easy. Or just sit down and, you know. Correct me if you need to, but Jeez. wipe that look off your face. You yeah. look scary. Anyways, Netanyahu warns mm -hmm. Israel is on the brink of a military coup. This is a story from the Jewish press. Israel Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu issues a warning about a potential military coup, stating when elements and military try with threats to, indicate, to dictate policy to the government, this is unacceptable in any democracy, and if they succeed in dictating... Their threats. This is the end of a genuine democracy. Netanyahu accuses Prime Minister Ehud Barak of being the mastermind behind the coup attempt, funding and orchestrating protests uh, 
Barack's 2020 video interview is incited where he discussed methods, leaders, and goals of protest movements, clashes between the government and dem demonstrators have been escalating with uh, uh, reservists and military personnel experiencing, expressing uh, reluctance to comply with the government's policies. There are concerns about possible use of force and disruptions going on here. So, Adam, what is, what's going on here right now with uh, Israel? Yeah, well, this is a story that I've actually been following pretty closely because I was just in Israel, I don't know, three, three weeks, weeks ago. ago. And amazing place, amazing country. Went and saw Jerusalem, Tel Aviv. I went to the Armenian quarter. I saw your people. I went to the Christian quarter. Tom, I saw your people. I went to the alien quarter. I saw your people. I went to the Jewish quarter. I went to the Muslim quarter. I went and experienced it all. But what I did see specifically in Tel Aviv were a lot of protests um, at, the, at the train stations. And I told my buddy who was driving around, I'm like, what's going on here? They're like, Netanyahu, uh, protest, it's going on. He's trying to be a dictator and uh, judicial reform. I'm like, what is going on here right now? So I explored this a little bit more. And I've, I've been following the story. Here's what I've basically uncovered. So um, essentially there's the best way to understand what's happening in Israel is Bibi, the closest analogy that I can make to Bibi Netanyahu is it'd be, it'd be like, let's say Donald Trump was president for um, multi-terms. Multi yes. Okay, because Bibi's been in politics, I want to say the prime minister, in and out of politics for 20 years. But basically he was accused of all sorts of stuff. He's, he's on the Likud party, which is the right-wing conservative party. Um, and he was basically uh, convict, uh, accused of illegal actions and bribery and all this kind of stuff. But he came back. It's gotcha. almost like as if Trump won again in 2024 after being removed in 2020, gotcha. and he's back. And here's what I will tell you, just to kind of start the, start the overarching theme here. Uh, just like in America, there's liberals and conservatives and all sorts of things. It's the, all that and then some in Israel. So if you go to Jerusalem, it's very religious. It's very conservative. Uh, it's Orthodox Jews. If you go to Tel Aviv... Bro, that is LGBT Pride Central. Like, really? it's to the point where I'm like, whoa, relax. Yeah. It was crazy. There was more pride flags in Tel Aviv than there were Israeli flags. It was quite shocking to me. Now they said, well, it was just Pride Week a couple weeks ago. They haven't removed all the flags. But it's very, very, Rainbow. let's just say, woke. Yeah. So what's happening right now is since Bibi Netanyahu, nobody's denying the fact that they've had amazing economic growth in the last 20 years. Nobody. Israel, there's a book that I read years ago called Startup Nation. The technology sector, the military sector, the business sector, the entrepreneurial sector have grown exponentially uh, in the last 20 years. Yeah, here's the book right here. Came out uh, in 2011, exactly. So uh, nobody's denying that. What they are basically saying is that um, BB is basically becoming more of an authoritarian regime, almost like Trump's back. He made it back in office, and now he's trying to take... Uh, a stronghold on the uh, on the on the country, um, and let's not forget, Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East. Some some countries are closed. Some say Algeria. Some say Lebanonish. That's the only full-on democracy. That's why their interests are aligned with the United States. There is a common interest and shared values. <laughs> to to be clear here, what Bibi Netanyahu is doing the following: he's basically doing a judicial overhaul. Essentially, what his premise is, is like, look, the Supreme Court has been too activist and too liberal for many years. 
It's time for us to take it over. So um, what's happening is essentially the probably the most serious domestic crisis possibly ever in the 75-year history of the United States. We all know that they have foreign issues with Iran, with the Palestinians, with Middle Eastern countries. But this is the probably the biggest um, assault on democracy, the biggest issue that they've had in 75 years. Now, his coalition is basically saying, we're with you. The Supreme Court has way too many problems. Um, the, the people on the left are basically saying this is overreach. And it's playing out. I mean, ultimately, it comes down to this. Democracy is ugly. Um, people voted for Bibi Netanyahu. I actually think he's a strong leader, a capable leader. But I actually completely understand the people on the left that are basically saying, no, the Supreme Court should not be essentially shut down and quelled. Um, and they're worried that he's becoming a strong man. And at the end of the day, I think, what, what is it, Churchill said... Uh, democracy is the uh, worst form of government, except for everything else. We're, we're watching how the sausage gets made. It's not pretty. It's not fun to watch. But what are your alternatives? Saudi Arabia, Iran, uh, Libya, Syria, Lebanon. Uh, I'll take what's going on in Israel over any other country in the Middle East. Yeah. You know, when I, when I think about Netanyahu, I see somebody... Uh, by the way, they reached out about wanting to do an interview. So That'd we're right amazing. now talking to see what's going to happen. You know, we don't want to do a one-hour one. I'd like to do a two-hour one because i got a lot of questions to ask. So we may go actually fly out there to do the interview. If, so if it doesn't happen, it was more of an hour one. If it does happen, know the fact that it's going to be a two-hour interview. In Israel, it's done. called chetzi chetzi. We meet in the middle, 50-50, an I'm, hour and a half. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm more two hours. So if they do it, we'll, we'll fly. For me to take time to go out there. It's, and I, by the way, respect to him. He's got a tough job. He's got a lot of other responsibilities. Uh, but we would love to talk to him. We'd love to talk to a lot of different people. But, uh, uh, you know, when I see Netanyahu, I see someone that wants this job. Mm -hmm. Like, I see someone that's been wanting this job for a very, very long time, and he was upset that he was ousted, okay? Uh, this, this is the part where I always ask myself, what is Tucker's vision? Does Tucker want to go follow a Netanyahu-Churchill type of a model as a journalist who has been... Imagine if you are someone that's been in journalism and debate for the last 30 years, 20 years, and all you do is read every single story. Sure. Who else knows the stories better than you for 20, 30 years, and you're charismatic, and you got a personality, and you're a true believer, and you're on debate stage? You've been debating for 20, 30 years. It's not like you don't have a, a way of doing it, but it's gonna, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Israel, uh, but also at the same time, I think, you know, Tucker has to answer a question. Does he want to be mm -hmm. the Netanyahu Churchill of U.S.? We'll see what happened there. I want to wrap up the podcast with 1101. Did you want to say one final thing? I'll just on say this? one thing. You're talking about the U.S. and how we there there is conversations within the United States right now because how this is applicable to us as a major ally. Um, Joe Biden has not invited Bibi Netanyahu to the White House. He did um, invite President Itzhak Herzog, is his name, uh, to meet with him. So there is this pulling of the strings here. You know, Trump has famously touted, I'm the most pro-Israel president ever. We know that. He said that a million times. So we'll see how this shakes out on the coming of the 2024 election. If it is Biden, if it is Trump, where, you know, a lot of Republicans are basically calling out Biden 
there, there is that sort of delicate dance happening in Congress as and we to, speak. And to be fair, the, the day Biden won, one of the first people to tweet, world leaders to tweet out congratulations, congratulating Netanyahu. Biden, was Netanyahu. Yeah. He, and people were like, oh, I can't believe he yeah. did that because he wanted him. He didn't want Trump. <clears throat> Even some of the Trump loyalists were not happy yeah. about that. But Netanyahu's there, played his no cards. There's no doubt that Netanyahu and Trump have a closer relationship than Biden. Sure. But at the end of the day, presidents come and go, and the Israeli... U.S. alliance. It's is just very funny strong. the fact that Biden hasn't made an effort. Anyways, we are at the end of the podcast. Uh, Thursday, uh, 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 we will let you know what's going to happen with Thursday. Po- Originally, we weren't going to do Thursday because I was going to go to the uh, the card collection convention that's happening this week. Unfortunately, I will not be able to go out. But I do want to wrap it up with some of you guys that are watching this content, and you have uh, you're, you're somebody that's on the business side. And you want to be doing, you know, on the business and spend a couple of days with us on strategy. We have the vault conference that's coming up. Uh, it'll sell out this week, August 30th to September 2nd. Myself, Tom Brady, Mike Tyson, will get there and 3,000 other people that are entrepreneurs, executive salespeople that want to take their business and their lives to the next level. If you haven't yet registered, CEO tickets, gone. Founder tickets, gone. Executive tickets, gone. The only ones that are left or Platinum in general. And right now, if you buy a ticket, you get the second one, 50% off. Click on a link to get registered for us to see you at the Vault Conference in Miami. Vinny will be there. Tom will be there. Adam may be there. We don't know yet. What? We're going to invite I'm not invited. Adam. What's going on But right uh, our crew will be here. We can't wait to see all of you guys at the Vault Conference. With that being said, uh, gang, we will do this again on Thursday. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye, bye-bye. Patrick Bed David here from Value and PBD Podcast. Look, once a year, we host a conference called the Vault Conference. It's our Super Bowl where 3,000 entrepreneurs, CEOs, executives, salespeople from around the world come together to spend three and a half days together from August 30th to September 2nd at the Diplomat Resort in Miami to learn how to scale their business, how to identify their next 5, 10, 15 moves, who to recruit next, who to go raise their money from, how to raise capital, how to properly scale, culture, retention, hire, fire, all of those things and much more and we do that over a span of three and a half days and the reason why it's a very important season to attend a conference like this the following reason today there's three different types of people they're scared there are those that are content and the obsessed the scared they don't want to do anything because they're worried about what's going to happen in the economy they're going to take a big hit the content they're walking around saying life is pretty okay i don't need to do anything else and then there's the obsessed because they see a massive opportunity today so imagine spending three and a half days with 3,000 obsessed people that want to grow in a season like this. Imagine how much you can learn from just those relationships and networks. So on top of the people that are going to be attending at this event, there's probably the best lineup we'll ever have at a vault conference. Tom Brady, seven-time champion. I'll be interviewing him. He'll be at the vault conference. Mike Tyson, Will Guidera, the gentleman who ran the restaurant 11 Madison, New York, that went from a regular restaurant to a one Michelin star, two Michelin star, three Michelin star, and eventually the number one restaurant in the world. He's going to talk about how they treat their customers. So look, if you've not registered yet, this is my recommendation to you. I never went to conferences when I was coming up by myself. I always went with a spouse, with a business partner or running mate because I only have a lens on what I see. Every night afterwards, we would sit there and say, what was your biggest takeaway? So get yourself, your spouse, your partner, your running mate registered to come spend three and a half days with us at the Diplomat Resort in Miami from August 30th to September 2nd. I will see you there.